Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. What is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and uh, this is a really cool one. Uh, I... I'm a massive, massive fan of the Fink Desert Race. It's a race that I've been out to a couple of times now. Uh, well, more than a couple. I've been out there a bunch of times now. And it's uh, it's like really uh, if you're a two-wheel or four-wheel fan uh, in Australia, it's kind of just one of those like pilgrimage type of deals that you need to experience once in your life. And I've been out there and I've filmed it a few times. I've done it uh, with Toby. And uh, I always, even like the way that I did it, I was always like, man, I feel like you could really do this race a lot better justice than what I was able to do it. Um, but to do that, you'd need a, a pretty big budget and uh, a bunch of man hours and uh, and some real, real commitment, uh, which is, I guess, hard to kind of make happen in the dirt bike industry. And no one has been able to make it happen the way that uh, Isaac Elliott and uh, Dylan River have been able to do with their new uh, release, Fink, There and Back. Uh, amazing film. I went and checked out the premiere when it was on, uh, when it was here at the Gold Coast, but they have uh, just released this today for digital download. So you'll be able to go to our Instagram at Gypsy Tales Podcast, um, look for one of these posts, and, uh, and you'll be able to see. Uh, see that link and go and I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll just be able to search it on iTunes or the Google Play Store as well um, so yeah really cool to get those boys in talk about the baking of the film uh, some of their I guess backstories of it Isaac actually did the film as a paraplegic uh, which is just crazy in of itself um, before we get into it just got to give a quick shout out to our sponsors uh, first of all the legends at MX store uh, their showroom is closed with all of the coronavirus stuff that is going on uh, but you you can still order everything through their amazing online store. So just head to mxstore.com.au. Uh, also, shout out to the guys at Rival Inc. We have some really fun stuff coming up. Uh, the Screaming Eagle is getting rebuilt. Uh, me and Sam, if you listen to the next podcast that we're going to post, which is our Bar to Bar podcast, uh, you will hear us talk about the bikes that we are going to build for Day in the Dirt. We've already started with that. That is going to come with a whole heap of fun uh, from the guys at Rival Inc. I can't wait to let them go nuts on uh, those two bikes of mine. Um, 
But in the meantime, if you want to head to rivalinkdesignco.com and you use the promo code Gypsy Tales or Gypsy Gang, you are going to get 15% off your entire order. Uh, you can get graphics, they've got merch, the jersey prints. I've actually got a new jersey that I've got to run down and get some prints done on. Um, so yeah, the guys are absolute legends there. Uh, also, just got to give a quick shout out as well to one of our newest sponsors, the Legends at Thrill Seekers Collection. Uh, they make some, not some, they make the best seat covers in the game. Uh, they also have insanely cool merch. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff on the way from the US. They do really great shipping uh, to Australia and they also, uh, obviously being based in the US, uh, if you're one of our US listeners, super easy to go through uh, and get yourself a seat cover or some merch. Uh, you can design your own seat cover uh you can do the side color the top color um and then the the different patterns they've got so many options and are just such a rad 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 group of dudes uh and we're stoked to be working with those guys uh also just got to give a shout out to the guys at crick's tweed as well uh that free free bike like they're literally giving away a 2020 ktm 450 that is going until june 30 all you have to do is roll on into crick's tweed you don't even have to live uh in the gold coast or northern new south wales you can call kyle at crick's tweed uh, if you need a new car at all uh and they're going to be able to get it figured out so you go into the draw to win that brand new ktm uh, and look out this week as well because we're doing a fast house giveaway uh for a set of gear through those guys as well um that is it for the sponsors of this particular podcast. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to all of our listeners. Um, yeah, really enjoyable episode. And um, uh, it was really cool to just see that Fink finally got the the uh, just desserts that it has, uh, has always deserved. Thank you for your time and uh, appreciate it. Righto, we are joined in the studio today by a couple of mad dogs, Dylan River, Isaac Elliott, uh, director and producer of the film Fink There and Back. Uh, I went and watched it last night at your IMAX screening and I must say I was uh, very, very impressed and I was uh, I was stoked that somebody told like a really uh, authentic and, and cool version of the story. Oh, thanks man. Thank you. Um you know, it's been a long time coming. We filmed this in 2017 and it's been a long lead up to the release. But, you know, as a filmmaker, nothing's more rewarding than sitting in a cinema yeah. watching people respond to your film. So, cheers. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Like, I didn't really, I uh, hadn't seen any trailers. I hadn't sort of, I, I was actually out there in 17 filming with Toby, uh, just doing You're like in his... The film. Yeah, I actually saw myself in the <laughs> film there a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, and I sort of knew that you guys were filming and there was a bit of a buzz around you guys um, doing the filming, but sort of since then, like, it's just... Haven't really heard too much about it until this release, so didn't know what to expect, but I was I was absolutely blown away. And, and I enjoyed the way that you approached the film. Um, obviously, uh, do you know? Do you know much about my background as a filmmaker? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, obviously, I've seen your stuff you've done with Toby and Red yeah. Bull and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know the full the full story. Yeah, but I, I guess like just the fact that I do that. Yeah. And, and have been at the event, it's just a, such a different way that that you went about it, and yeah. I'm glad that that someone did. So I guess 
where did where did it start like where did this project kind of uh come to life i mean i mean isaac and my friendships goes back to kind of the later years of high school oh okay Um, my parents are actually both filmmakers and isaac asked me to help him out with a film he was making thinking that i knew how to make a film because my parents are filmmakers and i didn't at that point at all but it was actually isaac that sort of sparked my interest in in filmmaking and um yeah we bonded over motocross and supercross and uh, not only riding but just watching it religiously together and um then simultaneously sort of developed this uh i guess film career separately um isaac went down to melbourne and and, uh did a degree down there and i kept just making little things in alice springs and and then along with that you know i i was that kid growing up in alice who um you know you had two options one was playing afl football or riding motorbikes and because my dad was shithouse at kicking a footy he liked motorbikes and i think that sparked an interest for me and um like any kid in alice who grows up in the motocross scene thinks sort of this thing that comes around when you're a senior when you turn 16 and you're able to race it and yeah um i guess it's sort of a proving ground to prove that you're who you are and uh, you know becoming a man and whatnot and um yeah so i I raced it when i was 16 for the first time and i raced eight finks and um, no way i didn't know that yeah so sort of it I come from, I guess, this clash of a, a motorbike background, a think background, but then a filmmaking background. So yeah. after only finishing, I think, three times out of the eight, um, you know, with a few broken bones and a few mechanicals and a bit of heartbreak, I sort of just started thinking, why am I doing this and what's it all about? And, yeah. um, you know, the film for me sort of came probably out of that, out of frustration of the race and, and wanting to, I don't know, I, not that no one had done it justice the film but i just kind of i want I, I think no one had ever done it justice to be honest i think that um the way that you guys told the story was i mean even me like i've only ever been out there with toby mm. and it's sort of it's always about those lead guys and i think that one of the more special things about the film uh is the characters that you chose and it was a. Uh, it wasn't the traditional elitist version of uh, Fink coverage. And I'd always thought that it hadn't been done properly. I think that the way that Red Bull's covered Tobes, I think that stuff's been done properly. Mm. Um, but I don't think that you really capture the, the essence and the spirit of the event in the way uh, which you guys did. Well, it takes, it takes being embedded. Pull this in, a bit closer. It, it takes being embedded in the race for your whole life to know what these stories are and what this story was like yeah. will be so people that go up there and film it they know what happens in that race and they know what happens to the people that they film but Dylan um, and me to a lesser, lesser extent knows the ambulance story and yeah. you know, all the other slower riders that you haven't filmed yeah. and so you can expand on what the race means and also um, you know what it means to the riders over the decades that yeah. you know, we've been watching it yeah, well, what was the guy's name that had won the five and then... Yeah, Randall Gregory. Yeah, Randall Gregory. Like, even that was, like, such a, a cool story. And yeah. and honestly, like, it, I was sort of trying to watch it through the lens, like, half the lens of just being a fan then half the lens of, like, a technical storyteller's, mm. like, filmmaker perspective. And I think that the way that you guys use um, the score, uh, it just, I don't know, it just hit, it had all the, all the right feels. Thank you. I think, I mean, look, we tried to capture it from as many angles as possible. Yeah. You know, obviously we were following the front runners and I think we we're quite fortunate that that year Toby did 
hurt his leg in Dakar and he was still recovering and he didn't race, which really opened up yeah, the field for yeah. a lot of um, local people. Um, and we knew it was going to be... I mean, not to take away from their win, but yeah. you know, we knew that if Toby's there and he's healthy, it's really hard to beat him. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely helped our story and our cause that year. Yeah. The only thing that I... Like, you guys... That my only critique of the film Ooh, would be <laughs> that you painted Toby to be like the full rock star. You showed the how, like yeah. I, I understand the setup, but I feel like there should have been a caveat that showed the humble beginnings of where he come from. Totally, I, I know timing wise that it's not like you've can allocate a bunch of time into yeah. telling that backstory, but I I think it painted him to be a bit of a like the rock star version yeah. which he is now but that was because of that race and i think that was maybe a missed storyline I, I think like yeah i mean access was always hard with toby and and we found that even with the release now that he's such a busy guy that it's, mm. it's tricky to um to get him for five for five minutes you know mm. but um i actually captured some really great footage with him um in the year he tried to ride and yeah he, and, he, and he kind of i was there the day he sort of called it and went i can't do this yeah. race this year yeah. but you know we put it in the edit for a certain amount of time and, and it was great because he was he was there getting his legs strapped up and he's yeah. you know sitting in his jocks and it sort of showed toby in a, in a different light yeah um and just joking with the boys and um you know that like a, a lot of things when you edit these films and you have to get rid of things that you really love yeah. scenes that you really love to uh to weigh another story up or yeah. just that balance it's 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 a balance you know and and, and i definitely i understand like it worked like yeah. it, it did work in the story but I mean from my end knowing oh Yo, you know him like yeah, 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 and yeah. I know I'm like ah oh, man like I've all of his riches that he's got now in the mansion like that literally yeah. started because of Fink in 2010 yeah and it's like how much time can you give to that storyline with everything else that's going on totally. I just I, I was like that was my only yeah. thing but again it's just as a guy that knows the story you yeah know? and I hope that a lot of I mean I hope that a lot of people who watch this film do know the Toby Price story mm. and now this is opening their eyes to, to other people's stories. Yeah. I hope that, you know, a lot of our audience are familiar with him already so we're not taking away from yeah. what he's achieved. Yeah, but I mean, that that would be like my only thing. I just, I fucking loved it. Like I really enjoyed all of the storylines that, that were chased and even i've been out there four or five times now and there was so much stuff that that i didn't you know that i didn't know obviously with uh with damon passing away mm. right after winning the race like it was a uh, yeah and man fuck i've got goosebumps now but like the in the theater like when that graphic comes up that says that he passed away while leading a race like you could feel that the there was like a, a real sense of sorrow in the room mm. like any positive energy that was in the room like it really it was sucked out by that mm. you know by that message so i think um, yeah it still it still affects us and all the locals really heavily you know i think uh yeah every time we watch it we have the same feelings and um that happened when we were editing the film so you know i was three or four months into editing mm. and, and he was a i'd actually planned to go and film with him to to bring his character up a little bit more in the edit and just to shoot a little bit more backstory stuff and that was the week before that that happened really so, yeah i mean it's heavy it's heavy stuff but it um, you know it again just talks to everything that we're trying to discuss and, yeah you know as motorbike riders or just um you know people in life um searching for these sort of 
I guess, existential sort of experiences, you yeah. know, um, that is motorbike riding in this case, but, you know, the inherent dangers that come with that. Yeah, and I mean, your story as well, like, think is where you had your accident. I'm trying to remember if we knew each other before your accident or not. No. It wasn't. <clears throat> I no. think the first time we would have met was when you were doing the... Um, your film on the MX Nationals, yeah? Yeah, so 2009, you had, you had a website? Yeah, MX Daily back M- then. MX yeah. Daily, MX yeah. Daily, Verb Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we would have met, I just rode around in my quad, yeah. um, got in trouble um, with Kevin Williams quite a bit for crossing the track during during races. Um, yeah, we're, yeah, fuck. Just, just trying to make it work. work. <laughs> just run a bit of a muck. Um, <laughs> yeah, we would have met there. I, um, I had my accident in 2007 and I like hadn't raced the race and decided not to race the race because it was too dangerous for like the first four years that I was in seniors yeah um, I'd go away and race motocross and then decided um, oh, I'll give it a go um, I'd sort of I was 20 I thought I'd buy a house um, at the end of 2007 so I'd kind of planned out yeah so hopefully by that point be able to you know do well enough in fink and do well enough in like local and state races to be able to get a bike given to me yeah to race on and the first day i went down the track i got 30 k's and hit a tree fuck so it was your first day yeah um yeah yeah it was it was um because i remember hearing about it like because i i i just didn't know whether i'd met you at that point yet or not though but i do remember hearing about uh about your accident out there yeah so i <clears throat> i was back pretty i was back pretty quick i was back i was kind of you know in rehab and out within about a month and a half yeah um and back and then i was riding um about four months after my accident um on the same bike really so i modified that and so there was a lot of you know in 2007 2008 there was a lot of kind of you know magazine you know articles yeah and yeah pictures and stuff. yeah and i was mainly i was mainly interested in motocross so i was racing motocross i kind of went to state race motocross I, I actually won a couple of state clubman motocross titles yeah strapped into my bike um but also i went back and then raced fink uh in 2008 so i raced it the oh net, the so this year. wasn't your first time doing the the race no there's Which a bit of a, a is that like a bit of a it's a spoiler alert kind no of I think like for, for us we, we filmed this in 2017 but for me it was very very important that we weren't specific on the year because yeah. you know we don't mention 2017 once because I feel like Fink's such a timeless thing and Yeah, every year these stories happen and unfortunately Isaac when he raced it back in 2008 uh, it wasn't captured on film mm. or wasn't captured properly so it was us sort of trying to combine this sort of journey yeah and 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 having him race it again um having not ridden in was it eight years yeah it was still se- years. it's still still seven years bef- like between rides yeah and i actually raced think 2008 2009 uh, blew my engine up in 2010 yeah um, and then didn't ride after that so we knew it was possible but i mean there was a lot of hesitations to yeah, I mean, it's no fucking in. joke <laughs> like just any time like even for an able-bodied person to you know just decide like yep you know fucking race think like there's a lot of obstacles that that come with that just for somebody that is able to use their legs on a motorcycle yeah well it's just it, it, look after seven years of being in melbourne i just never found anything that 
mm. was the same as motocross as, as an outlet and there's only you know and watching motocross is, is great me and Dylan watch it every weekend at stupid hours um, you know whenever the supercross and motocross is on and we're texting during it going oh my god yeah. Ryan Dungey's riding a Honda now weird um, <laughs> but um, nothing kind of reaches the, the, the heights and it is is, like, is it adrenaline I guess but there's probably lots of other things and there is this kind of sense of freedom that comes from from riding that I don't really think you get <clears throat> I don't really think you get yeah doing anything else and well even, I think you described it well in the film by just saying it's just the ultimate escapism because it really is like I'm sure you don't feel like a paraplegic when you're in that flow state of concentrating down the think truck like it, I'm sure there's a part of you that forgets the situation that you're in even. Yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. You just, like, and you work within the limitations that you've got, you know, like if you're racing a a 250F against a 500 KTM, um, you're limited in a a certain way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm limited in a certain way. Yeah. But you just, you you forget about those limitations when you're you're riding and then you're just chasing the next person, chasing the next person. And, you know, if you're on a slower bike, you're hitting the corners harder and, you know, doing everything you can to go faster and it gets a bit uh gets a bit gnarly sometimes i um i scared myself quite a bit um we we had such a quick like build of the bike and a quick lead up and i was still in melbourne working yeah um during the lead up and my bike was in alice and i was only able to fly up on the weekends and we bought it just after easter um in april and we and i raced the race the first weekend of june yeah so it was just from a brand new bike we just had to you know figure out what we needed to do and i because i'd done it before we knew what we needed to do but i also knew everything that could go wrong and just you know once you're welding stuff together it's kind of stuck there yeah uh and unless you you know you put big time to you know it's not it's not a matter of just a little setup change that yeah that changes it because I'm you know the, my seat is where the, where it's bolted to the bike and I'm I'm where I'm bolted you know strapped to the bike yeah so there's not a whole lot you can do so I knew that that would be um that you know would be difficult to um, pull off mm. but in the end um well in the end it, it took a lot to get it going and so I I would go out for a ride and as you see in the film something something breaks and I'd um, crashed basically I got 50 meters the first round yeah. and fell over and I so what to, was that that happened well I have a um, to, com- to control the rear brake and the clutch I have a product called a clake um, <clears throat> which is a clutch and a brake combined into one yeah. uh, one lever it's got two master cylinders and yeah one goes to your rear brake and one goes to your clutch Yeah. and when you pull it in the first part pulls in your clutch and then the second part pulls in the brake. In the brake, yeah, so you can right. kind of come to a stop, and your, your clutch is in, and you don't stall. Yeah. But if you don't get that overlap correct, then it'll stall the engine. Uh. Um, and so it was that combined with the gear shift, the um, the electronic gear shifter is just a solenoid that pulls a lever up, pulls a lever down using the standard lever. And if that's not centered, it might not push down far enough, and you hit a false neutral. It and might so, not pull what up are far you enough. pushing down? I've just got a um, electric. Bu- I've just got a oh, button. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's all electric. It's yeah. you know you get a KDM and they've um, got the battery, so it's pretty easy to yeah. just hook it into the into that. Um, I've also got a ignition cutout on the upshift so that I can do flat changes. Ah. Um, His handlebars are a little bit like Toby's DAC upright bike, just yeah, covered, in, covered in buttons and shit. Yeah, <laughs> I want, I feel like at some point they like why are bikes gonna 
keep doing the foot thing anyway. Like it just sort of doesn't make that much sense. Well, Dylan, 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 um, <clears throat> Dylan rode my bike pre-running the year after, and he pulled the seat off and he pulled the bars off, and he told me it was just like riding a mountain bike. Yeah, he had all yeah. The I actually, I took the bars off and yeah, and literally rode his bike with the setup. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah. You know? You just you yeah like riding a mountain bike. Um, I'd imagine, but I think I think the future trail. with electric and everything, yeah, you'll just find that it's a back brake on your left and a yeah. front brake on your right and a throttle and that's that. Well, yeah, I think yeah the electric bikes are going to make mm. it pretty pretty uh, dummy proof when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I was uh, when I was at Townley's place the other day, we were doing like a bit of technique stuff. And he's getting me to ride like right on my tippy yeah. toes, yeah. and then I'm like, "Well, where the fuck's the brake?" And it's and it's you're just doing this dance, yeah. But I mean, it makes you ride better. But I'm just like, man, we just need to be fucking locked in. The feet stay where they stay, and then you just hold the fucking hold the thing. Like. <laughs> me, me and my brother just send like pictures from Instagram back and forth of being like, oh, "How is he riding with his foot there? He's like through the whoops. His feet are just hanging off the back. It's like he's just." on his like little toes did you ever ride like that when you were actually racing no nah dude no. I've, I've like this never this is a new my, style I, I just think. wore out the middle of my boots constantly <laughs> yeah nah like, that's is, they, yeah. dude Townley like that's been the biggest thing was when I went and did that riding with him that's what he was like you gotta ride on your toes you gotta ride on your toes and as soon as I did I was like fuck this is like a full game changer mm. like actually it's ridiculous how different riding a bike feels. Like, what is it? You just you well, it helps push you it pinch, into... It helps you pinch your knees because if you lift your ankles up, then you, your legs can twist. Yeah, and but you know just, you know yeah. what else though too is like, you know how they're always saying like weight the outside peg? Yeah. And then it's like if it's in the middle of your foot and you're pushing down, all you're kind of doing is like pushing yourself away. Yeah. There's no, like it, it doesn't, it never really felt right. But if you do it on your toes, you've got like, you're sort of pushing into the bike mm. and you're using your calf muscle so it's just like a different it's like a different deal but yeah then that made me think like then i'm starting to like slide up and down to do my gear changes and shit i'm just like this is fucking stupid like we just need everything here exactly well, exactly. It, well in, in fink steg pegs were a massive yeah. game changer in that and they're just skateboard wheels on the side of your bike which is what are they i, never, I actually never they, they were a massive advantage but now everyone has them so it's not actually an advantage yeah anymore. it's just like standard equipment now eh? but it, i mean it's strange how much safer you feel with them oh as, fuck as, yeah. as a rider yeah. in, in fink like and it's funny like the the fellow who made steg pegs originally had the one rubber and then people in alice started customizing them and making and them making them bigger. bigger yeah but then they started snapping the steg pegs so they started welding two together and then so they asked him can you make beefier versions with these things he's like no you don't need that you don't need that and eventually he sort of come through now there's like the desert peg yeah. which is a thicker version with the extra rubber and and now that just goes right behind your calf behind your boot yeah. and locks you in yeah. i mean it's probably useless for pretty much everything else yeah, well, I we did the Cape York ride recently, and I didn't have any steg pegs on my bike. And like my brother's got, he had his steg pegs on his, so he's just cruising along like 130, and he's like, he's like taking his hands off, standing and he's like up. standing yeah. up, just fucking wet. You're just like, dude, those things are gnarly. Yeah, they run those in the loaf seats, and they yeah. could just. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? It, man, the film actually made me want to do Fink. Well, that's good. Like, I'm sure that's like. That's like, I feel like any moto film deal, like that's the vibe is like, all right, this thing just has to make people want to ride. Yeah. And you guys definitely, you, you made it. I think you guys did a really honest job of like the reality. Like this race is no fucking joke. Like you don't just come here and just like kill it. Like there's a lot that goes into it. I think you did a lot of justice for 
the guys that the top end and the, the bottom end which i think is um that's like a credit to the overall vision mm. of like what you guys were trying to do thanks man thank you well, yeah it's, it's balancing that it's balancing that love of riding and that kind of unexplainable love of the race with the reality and the dangers and everything mm. else that, that goes with it and we know you know as bike riders we know those dangers mm. but you know to see it I think it's interesting how you always think about the dangers when you're not riding, but when you ride, you don't think about it mm. at all. Like, I never have a fear when I'm actually on the bike. I mean, you have close moments, but you just forget yeah, that, about it. Yeah, that's the only time you think about it is if, when you're about to But if I crack. watch anyone else ride, like we went to the Supercross the other week and like I'm watching everyone doing those rhythms and I'm freaking out thinking yeah. this, you know, you're going to hurt yourself, don't do that, you know? But yeah. then I know that being out there is probably not like no, that. they're just not thinking about it at all. And I think Fink's exactly the same. Like we, you drive out riding or you go to sleep thinking about the reality and then you get on there and just get into fifth and, and hold it on down the track and you just forget about everything. Mm. And I think um, more so than motocross, I mean, Isaac might disagree, but like there's this feeling you get in the desert, which is just, for me, this out-of-body sort of thing, like time slows down and, and you know, I do a little bit of surfing and I think I'd parallel more to that, like mm. this the feeling of riding a wave, you know, it's sort of the same riding the red sand, you know, at that because at those speeds of you know 150 going through yeah, you're warps, floating you're floating yeah like your, your wheels are off the ground more than they're on the ground yeah and um yeah it's an amazing feeling and something that was really important for me to try and capture in this film in some way um so yeah thank you yeah I, 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 yeah i definitely don't think you get that kind of sort of out of body existential experience on a motocross track because motocross is you know you get a different get, thing yeah, yeah it's sort of clinical perfection yeah and it's just because you, you know you're going to come around to that corner in in two minutes time and you're going to do it better yeah and you're going to do it better and you're going to do it better and you're just constantly you know that's what i to used to be yourself. addicted to mm. i would just yeah. be addicted to the, the perfection. perfectionism of it and that's like even now in jiu-jitsu like that's what i do with jiu-jitsu i'm just so addicted to the feeling of like trying to improve and because it's so measurable and I think that that's w with motocross you've got a stopwatch. It's it's just super measurable. But you are right. There is like this different adventure kind mm. of feeling that comes from being in the desert. And and you guys did a, a really great job with the visuals of Alice Springs and the desert. And I think combined with Eric Banner's voice, which I think was fucking amazing. Like that's such a great guy to voice a story like that and because he loves motorcycles mm. like he's a and i don't know how many people even know how much he loves motorcycles but to hear his voice uh combined with the visuals like it, it's it really is a spec spectacular place and for people that haven't been out there like the the beauty of that place is not lost on me anytime i go there yeah and look that's home for me so i mean i had to do it justice you know mm. as locals we kind of have this ongoing joke that it's god's country and well it's not a joke but you know we're not religious in any way but it's just it's this all-powerful sort of force i don't know we, we always talk about the, the desert deciding who wins and all mm. these sort of metaphorical like things. mystical sort yeah of shit, but it's, yeah. it's true i mean you know we're all very superstitious you know and we all have our little ticks that yeah make us think that we're going to have a safe day or a good day and um yeah i tried to capture that in in all the aerials of the desert and just just the stillness of it i think yeah. as well because i think as much as it's an action-packed sort of adventure film you kind of got to slow down 
a few times and take it in and take it in yeah exactly I, I think as well too that with Alice Springs like it, it cannot go uh, unaccounted for the fact that the Aboriginal culture has mm. there because it's the fucking same as it always has mm. been yeah. so much of it is just this untouched landscape that you know is the way that it was for you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years yeah look i you know i'm um i'm indigenous through my dad and my grandmother and um you know being from alice springs and um you know this this track runs through you know traditional homelands of people there's communities all the way along it but then now there's stations on where the track was and so on and so forth but you know they they love the race as well as much as anyone oh, else yeah. like they you know for for you know toby price is as much as if a superstar over here is a superstar in the desert for all of their mob and 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 the locals as well you know the local riders are superstars they all want to get photos with them and mm. um you know and there's been a few kids over the years who have come up and raced it as well you know um mob from communities and um i wouldn't think think it's a really race. inclusive a cl- inclusive time of the year for four mm. Alice Springs well, you know? when, yeah when think the race rolls into the community Tapachula it's just they love it right? yeah well they got yeah. their footy game their footy car yeah, they put yeah, on every yeah, year yeah. as well absolutely and in the pits you just they're marvelling at the bikes and the broken cars and yeah. all sorts <laughs> um, so where how did the uh, like logistically mm. to get a film made about dirt bikes that is played on an IMAX theatre mm. is a something that hasn't really been done in this way before in Australia to my understanding so what was the process of this film being made and actually getting it to the point where we're watching it on those on on the cinemas all over Australia yeah look I um I grew up uh when I was a kid and saw Dust to Glory which is um Dana Brown's film on the Baja yeah um and then obviously was aware of like his father's film on any Sunday yeah um, Endless Summer, yeah. you know, those classics. And I'm like, well, these guys, these American guys are making these big kind of action-adventure films. Surely we could do that here. And But I know that in financing something in America, it's a lot more, there's a lot more private money, there's a lot more studio money, um, and that's something that doesn't exist in Australia uh, unless you can get their money and bring it here. So traditionally in Australia, for a film like this, if you don't have someone like Red Bull attached or like a massive sort mm. of... Um, company um you get money for docos through uh the federal government through screen australia um who is like yeah a federal uh screen funding agency and then you also get state money from where you film or where you edit Mm -hmm. or not so this was it was a puzzle you know we had this idea for years and no one was interested um, because i I was just trying to tell them we're going to make this film about this motorbike race but it's not going to be for motorbike people like they'll enjoy it but it's going to be bigger than that it was really it took a long time to convince the different parties that this is something to invest in and yeah and um because you could tell in the audience that it wasn't moto people because the people that like the way that there was like the oohs and ahs mm. were coming at these times where to like a motocross person you're like eh, yeah not that big a deal yeah. so but you could actually there is a gauge that the people that went to that screening last night not all of them are these hardcore moto nuts yeah we you know the most rewarding thing on this tour so far um or any of the screenings we've done is when like someone's wife or or nana who got brought along comes up to me and says i didn't expect to like that but i really liked it Mm. you know and for me that's like that's what we want we won you know basically if we're convincing them or you know if they're being entertained by this movie that 
that's the ultimate achievement for us. And, yeah. and through development, we had to convince non-moto people. We had to yeah. convince people in the arts funding world yeah. that this is a film for everybody. And I think we got there. Um, and that was, you know, we probably spent about three years putting the funding together. Yeah. So how, yeah, how did that process work then? Yeah. So we 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 start by approaching Screen Australia, yeah. uh, who's our major investment partner. Um, what we get from them is a grant from the government. You know, it, it is to to tell Australian stories. That's what they are investing in. Um, and but to do that, we need to get a distributor on board, and our distributor makes a plan for a theatrical release. So yeah. if we want this thing to be an hour and a half long, we need a distributor. If it's going to be an hour or something, then we might need a broadcaster like ABC or SBS. Ah, uh, yeah. So we want it to be feature. We want it to be in cinemas. Um, so Mad Men Entertainment come on board. So we have to then convince them that we're making this film that's going to make money. It's yeah. going to be, you know, epic, and it's but it's also going to be a character-driven yeah. story and. So we had got them on board and um, once that was done, all we knew is we needed to get the state funding. So we get Northern Territory government to give us some money through the film agency there. Yeah. Um, and, well, and a and bit of tourism tourism money because Fink is such a big attraction for yeah. the Northern Territory. Um, and then we we do a lot of the post work in Victoria. So, we, you know, and we spend a lot of money there. So they give us a little top up as well. And then that's sort of how you bring the, the budget together. Well, init initially it started with, a, with actually a very, very small amount from... Um, the Northern Territory um, film funding to basically produce a trailer or a sizzle reel. Yeah, okay. So, like so we actually filmed in 2015 yeah. just to create a two, three-minute trailer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so then you can take that and go, this is what it looks like and these are the amazing stories and these are the amazing characters. Yeah. Um, and they, they change, you know, as documentary, you know, things change as they change. But, yeah. you know, we knew we had the characters and we knew we had the race and we knew we had... The incredible visuals that we could we could capture that the people in the arts funding world hadn't seen before. Yeah, and and how was it received in that world? Really well. Yeah, I mean, when we do screenings and Q and As for a film audience, it's quite different to a motorbike audience. Yeah. You know, the motorbike audience want to know how Isaac got his bike going, and they want to know about um, yeah, the you know Scruff Hamill and if if he, if he's raced it again and and whatnot. Um, but with the the film audience, it's a lot more about how did you film it? How many yeah. cameras did you have? What you know? How much? Not how much did it cost, but what were the challenges in that way? Because they can see, for someone who makes films, they can see logistically how yeah. difficult this is. And there was, was stuff that I actually wondered. Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head examples, but I, I just remember thinking like, "Fuck, they were honoured to get that." Mm. Like really, like moments that were um, captured that could have very, very easily been missed mm. in the logistical kind of nightmare of all of it. I think when uh, when you got um, was it Ivan Long passing um, Luke, Luke Hayes, yeah, yeah, like that pass and the way that the way that you guys documented um, the mechanical and mm. just where you guys were out when you got Leesky finding out that. Um, that that had an issue with the bike like there was a lot of stuff that was uh captured that could have so easily mm. gone missed a and people i don't think people understand that just the waiting and the time that goes into just standing there yeah i think the most difficult 
thing that we were faced with is that this is a 230 kilometer track oh, that, has, that has no foam reception yeah and is in a straight line it's not a circle so you can't just skip over to there or to there or you know it's and the it, bikes are going so fast yeah. like there's no like it's even hard in a helicopter to outrun the dudes yeah so, so you we, can't even leapfrog them exactly and so like we were faced with okay how do we capture all these stories and we i shot in the lead up with a small crew for about three months just following backstories, following storylines. But then come race day, we had three helicopters, 30 cameramen and women on the ground, um, however many GoPros that we... We lost a lot of GoPros. <laughs> a lot of GoPros fell off cars and um, bikes. Dude, and, I remember you guys the on desert. the GoPro hustle. I, I think uh, I had to tell one of your crew, I was like, nah, that's my GoPro, dude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, was just, <laughs> it, was just, it was just chaos, man. And... and um, but it was the only way to do it, you know. We, we had the lead helicopter that was following kind of the top three in that storyline. Yeah. And we had the other one going back through the backwards through the pack to make sure they capture a few of our characters and just anything they can. Yeah. And then we had one start last with Isaac and then go charge up through the pack to yeah. catch back up. And um, I think just a lot of things were we were just very lucky a lot of the time. You kind of have to. You yeah. either get lucky or you don't. I mean, like, me, me knowing the race so well, I knew that, we'll put a cameraman at the second fuel stop because that's the usually the, the more defining one yeah. um, and if he's there just with Yamaha but also to film KDM something's going to happen yeah. and so something did happen and, and then I'm also going to get a cameraman to go to the first fuel stop but when he's not at the first fuel stop he's going to go and hang out with a really rowdy bunch of campers who I know who yeah. are all locals yeah. and I know that something's going to happen there that's going to be good yeah. and so we, we kind of strategize okay where's how can we use one person to be in one place to capture multiple things? Yeah. Um, and then... Put a camera with the paramedic. Yeah, we'll put yeah. one with the paramedics, but not just with one team sitting in the desert. We'll put one with the paramedic that actually sweeps from the back to the front and it's yeah. going to come across stuff all the time. So, yeah. yeah, we just... And I think we learned a lot from 2015 just shooting this sort of trailer yeah. about what works, what doesn't work, who, where to be. And so we just sent everyone out and... You know, we, we had 350 hours of footage at the end of the, the weekend. And that's like, on doc, in documentary terms, it's a lot, but there's been more. You yeah. Know? But that's something we had to watch every single minute of that to make sure that we don't miss anything. Yeah. And yeah, that took six months. And um, I think every day I'll go in and find something new and get really excited. Yeah. But like the, 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 when everyone came back out of the desert, they you know dirty. They haven't showered in three days, and and they're just smiling from ear to ear, saying, "You will not believe what I captured." Yeah, uh, and they couldn't even explain what it was. Like I just had to go through and watch it. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things just fell into our lap. Yeah, did you do much of the editing stuff as well? Like, were you involved in in that process? No, I was involved a lot in the pre-production yeah because um, you're a producer of the film correct? i kind of yeah. made isaac stay out of it yeah well come come <laughs> two weeks before the race i had to just focus on racing yeah uh and then you know there's a you know in film you really want to leave the director and the editor to have a chance to put the story together yeah you know not and so we would get we'd get you know come maybe month three we started getting um full edits together and then it just it evolved hugely there was you know the first cut was probably two and a half hours long yeah and then um it was a matter of refining refining but then um Stokey's accident happened and that changes the story and changes how you how you handle things so even during um yeah post-production the story was you know like even you know we were still getting extra material and yeah um 
the story evolved from there. Yeah, and I think like Isaac for me was uh, wasn't the main character. I didn't know who the main character was for a long time, and it was a kind of epiphany via a couple other people that Isaac's story. Isaac's not the main character. There's lots of protagonists in this, but but that his story tied together a lot of what I wanted to discuss in mm. the film and his journey. Um, it was a great way to top and tail the film, and and so slowly Isaac kept getting more and more scenes in the film, and, and whereas he wanted less, you know, mm. and it's sort of he could also ring me and say, "Hey, just say this one thing," yeah, and I'd record it and send him a send him a file, and then he'd fly down and film a cat yeah. for a while, and he had really. Well, look, he had pretty good access to me. Yeah, um, yeah, which makes a makes a lot of difference when you are sort of trying to just is, bridge yeah. these things together. Yeah, and I had I was great with with David Walsh, um, who's now I think winner actually, but you know he's a main character in the film, and I had great access with him, and he was really cool about it the whole time. So he he was coming through as sort of seemingly the main character for a long time, and because he's the lead writer, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it just ebbed and flowed and changes. And I think if you ask anyone who's who, who what's the story about, who's it about, they, someone might say it's about Scruff Hamill who's just out to finish, or they might yeah. say uh, it's about Isaac, or they might go it's about the battle between KDM and Yamaha. Like I think there's a lot of angles that people I feel take. like for me it was just about the race and all the things that comes with it because mm. it, it is it's it it's the kind of race that means very different things to very different people. And I think that that's pretty much the beauty of it. And I feel like for me, that's what got captured is that this is a race that people do for all types of reasons. They do it for a job. They do it for, you know, fuck you, I can do this race. They do it Mm. because it's a great time with their mates. They do it because it's a rite of passage. Mm. I think that, you know, that I think the main character would be you the, know, the track absolutely really you and there's know. a there's a big i think there's a big kind of like father son father daughter kind of element in the race that um isn't you know purely captured in the film but there's a lot of people that ride it with their dad or ride mm. it because their dad used to used to race it and their dad's now their mechanic and there's a lot of like intergenerational like it's, it's not amazing just yeah it's amazing how it's not a team sport but it's such a family sport yeah because it just requires so much outside help from yeah. everyone you know and that's motocross in general but you know for fink when we're pre-running you know you might ride to fink and back in the day that's 500 kilometers and someone needs to fuel you up and drive next to you all day yeah to do that yeah and for the locals who are who are wanting to be competitive they do that every single weekend you know and so they're they're their either their partner or their dad or their mum or whoever um, needs to support them every yeah. weekend doing that. I just I just ask mates and you know who ha- are having parties to to um, feel up for me. The first year I raced it, I turned up at the second field stop, and there was about four nuns, yeah, um, and then like a couple of clowns, and they had these big fake dicks. And it was, and they were, they're filling me up, going, "You gotta be all right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what my brother. He had a um, one of the years that he did it. He pulled up and got fueled up by like bananas in pajamas. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. like he just fucked up his fuel stop, and yeah. then he realised he was at the wrong one, and then because he was doing, I think he was in twentieth or something. He was like, "Just fucking fill me up." So then they've just like filled him up, and he, he's taken off. But yeah, I, like, I had the I had the right people, and I got them back the next year. Oh, so they were it's, your. They were just they were just partying and filling up people and cleaning my goggles. They had every. They would somehow they 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 had huge nights, and you know, there's no showers or anything out there. No. Covered in dirt. But come refueling time, they're on it. They're actually surprisingly on it. They've got you 
your goggles, you, you know, your spare yeah. set, set of goggles in a little plastic bag and they fill you up quick and you're off and then they're back to the esky. It's funny for back a lot of kids, debauchery. for <laughs> yeah. a lot of kids in Alice Springs, like who don't race motorbikes, Fink is still this sort of rite of passage for them. Like a lot of people who might have their first drink will be at Fink. Yeah. It's sort right. of just the party scene. Yeah. Like, you know, at the end of the day or for the, for the whole three, three, three days is sort of, um, for some people, that's what they live for all year because mm. Fink is going to be the biggest party of the year. And that's where you see bananas in the pyjamas and the nuns and yeah. the cowboys and, and everything else that well, goes with it. We have friends who call themselves live for this and they have a theme every year. Yeah. They might have a you know, Mexican They'll, they'll have the other beard camps, so they'll spend six months growing a beard so they all have a beard at <laughs> yeah. their camp. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking awesome. It's, it's cool that a race like that can inspire that kind of like energy and people and that kind of like community right and, and i think it's amazing that it can inspire the energy in the town but also like 500 of the 650 riders come from interstate and it sells out in two hours it's amazing it's like yeah it's a it's a pilgrimage it really is what it is like mm. it's um it's like the mecca mm. for motorsports and you know like dude, craig lounge like one of the years i was out there craig lounge fucking rode across the simpson desert to get there Mm. you know there's like i think daryl Beatty does those tours where he um they start they like literally cross the simpson desert and then they end at fink and then they spend the week at fink so it's like there's so much that happens around that event tony lockett goes back and he races it almost every year really yeah he goes he goes i had a bit of a competition with him for a while because we're about the same speed yeah right oh eight oh nine i called him out in the newspaper and he um he beat me by two minutes. And wow. He, and, he, and, he, and he, I remember I finished and I'm cruising through the pits and he gets out of the Honda truck because he's not a real fast rider, but, you know, he's famous. So he, yeah, he gets a pass. And he's like, I beat you, man. And he is so tall. He's the greatest AFL player of all time. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I beat you. And he actually raced the year of the film. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And um, I didn't know until I looked through the results and he was about 20 minutes ahead both days and I was disappointed. I wanted a redo. It's funny much. there's just, just these battles between people oh, yeah. all the way through the 700 riders. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. There's always a mate you got to beat or yeah. just your, your own little goal. Yeah. Um, whether that's to crack the top 100 or whether that's um, to beat every quad on the track. You know, I don't know. There's, there's Everyone's got their own little yeah, goal. Yeah, their own version of, like, their prize. Yeah. Well, that's like my brother and one of my best mates, Sawley. They, they do it together. And they, I think the years that they've done it, they've finished like twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty second, twenty. They need like, that top twenty. Yeah, they're just like right, right there. And um, but they're just so they're so close. And like sorely pulls away from my brother on like the super fast stuff, and then my brother just through mm. the whoops just starts catching him, and then it's just this constant. Yeah, yeah. You know, you Are you gonna race it? I kind of like. I'm half thinking about it. Eh? You should, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm half thinking about doing it at some point. Just don't, don't, don't try it and win it and don't <laughs> nah, yeah. I mean, but it's like don't Dylan Dylan just I'm not a good example of, yeah, of but how Dylan, to race thing. yeah he just he gets so keen and so you just try to so try too hard I think that top 20 is like the problem is that I know that what's your best result uh, 25th I think yeah so you're right there that was when I was 17 though and I've never been I've never done good enough afterwards. Well, I just keep crashing out. Yeah. One year I was doing all right and then my motor broke. And I think the problem is being a local, riding with quick guys and knowing that I'm as quick as them. And I 
might one year put in the effort. I know as I'm, I'm as fit at them as mm. them, and then something happens. And and when I have like you know these guys saying, "Man, you'll get inside the top twenty easy." Like I reckon you're about you know fifteenth, fourteenth, mm. and it's like, oh yeah. So you get that in your head, and you just put this pressure on yourself to do it. And, yeah. And I haven't done it. So. We, we we filmed he we filmed in 2015, and he raced in 2015. And the funniest bit was he he was real fast. He's real fast at Fink. Um, just at Fink. Just at Fink. I, just I can't fink. ride ruts or jumps or jumps. anything else. <laughs> he can do Fink and flat track at the moment. Uh, but he, he crashed in prologue and we're watching the times and we're going, oh, the guy after him's coming, the guy after that's coming. Oh, where's Dylan? And he rides through the middle of the thing and the commentator goes, oh, Dylan, cry me a river. Has crashed out. Oh no! <laughs> it was terrible. And so, did you get to actually start the race? Or I, I, I've started the race very last two years in a row. Wow! Yeah. What's that like? It's actually be scary as fuck with well, all that. The dust first year it was dudes. fucked because I was so angry at myself that I just rode really uh, aggressively all the yeah. way, and I think I passed five hundred riders on the track, mm. and I was inside the top hundred in position. I'm probably I don't know like twentieth or thirtieth in time. And then I seized my bike five k's from the finish line. Yeah. And so, what bikes are you, are you on when you're doing this? That was on a CR500, actually. I raced. Uh, I raced two years on a fuck CR500. All that. He's yeah. got a service Honda. Oh, CR500. okay. Yeah. So that's killer. So it was yeah, sort of like trying that. to just do it differently to everyone else. Yeah. Um, Track shock, cone valves, all sorts. It was. Yeah, it was a competitive right. bike, but yeah, it just didn't. Anyway, so that happened. And then the next year, uh, I crashed in Prologue, started last again, but I just went. You know what? I'll just ride there and back and just enjoy it this yeah. year and, and I did I finished and you know about 30th I think and um, yeah it is what it is but I think the, it was after these events that this film really started to evolve yeah so okay. I just went what am I doing like I know I, I want to I want to have an effect on this race because of how special it is to me and how yeah. I've grown up with it and maybe if I make a film about it that would be my my, my legacy, impact. yeah, yeah. So I think that's where it all came from. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I, I would like to do it. I said I'd never do it, but I never really done a lot of desert riding. And then this year, when we did the, um, when we did the trip up to Cape York, it's the same sort of shit. And um, I had the most fun ever. And then after a few days, I just got used to being wide open, top mm. gear, and like everything, everything slowed down, it and does. I felt, yeah. I felt real comfy and uh it's scary though at the same time like that's a scary feeling when you look down and you're doing 130 140 and you don't really care you're mm. like this is entering that fucking scary zone. this is entering scary the, zone, the yeah. weird the weird place where like <laughs> shit can happen fucking quick it's amazing how you get your eye in at that speed though it's crazy man it blew my mind eh? like i just thought i'd never be that guy it's really tricky for some of the guys who race the um, off-road championships here because they they go from riding through trees yeah. one weekend and then three weeks later they're meant to be racing Fink yeah. and then two weeks after that they're back into riding trees and it's like it's hard to get your eye in for both mm. well um, I, I only rode motocross and then when that first day when I went down the track it was it was you know, once you so you you had your injury like the first thirty k's of riding. Yeah, so I got like thirty five k's. So like were that. you just pushing too hard too soon? You reckon? well, I I it was the first day I was going to do a pre run. Yeah, you know, I'd I'd come back like I'd I'd gone out to thirty k's and rode back along the track, but yeah, you know, I'd stop at twenty k's as a sand dune to do some jumps and whips and yeah stuff. Um, but this was the first day that I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. Do the whole thing. Yeah, I'm going to go out. And I'd actually been riding with Wonka a bit yeah. in the lead up because the the um, deep well races at the start of the year and I kind of 
um, rode KDM, so I rode, and we, you know, we would, you know, I was pretty close to him around, you know, smaller desert tracks, but yeah. I'd never done um, the race. I actually saw him; he was at one of the screenings, and I asked him about the year he won, and he said he never did. <laughs> oh, he was, really? He never won. Yeah, he, right. He, he kept breaking down. Brad Willscroft. Yeah, yeah. There's a few people like that who just, you know, he raced. I don't know how many things he would have rode, but it would have been close to 20. Yeah. And didn't win once. One year he was leading by 15 minutes and blew up 5Ks from the finish line. Fuck. And like. Gr- Griffo, Griffo's a, a legend as well. Um, Darren Griffiths, he raced with, and he was as quick or quicker than um, Randall uh, in the 90s and just kept breaking, crashing, all sorts. And then he comes back and he's um, on this black no sponsor KDM in 2003 and wins it really like and that was his like 20th or 17th or something think yeah it's just mad which it goes to show how fucking good toby is eh? yeah yeah like it's First time it's ridiculous how good that dude is on yeah, a bike it is it pains me to say it yeah that he is just that good and i think i mean uh you know he might have his own version of this but i do think that think as his training ground for what he's gone on to do oh yeah 100 you you can't say that it didn't have an impact on his Dakar riding because no. I you know he just knows how to hold it wide and yeah. and, and just get his eye in it and then just cruise all day yeah. like the Red Bull Dakar guys come over and they jump in the helicopters and follow him and go no one else is riding like this in these conditions no. in the Dakar or anywhere and that's no. why he that's how he can be so good so but, good at that but that's where a local like David Walsh for me is so amazing I mean he is especially good at, at Fink you know compared to, to other races like David couldn't go and do a motocross and no. be too competitive but like for someone like him who's still so a builder, like specialist just a builder yeah. by trade like and you know this is his hobby yeah and he he is very very close to the pace of, of Toby you yeah. know um and we've had just Fink has had some amazing riders that during the week. They're they're tradies and 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 I would beat them on a one two five around the motocross track. But at Fink, no one can no one can touch them. Yeah. At all. It's crazy. It's such a, a specialized it's like this crazy perfect storm where it's two hundred and thirty Ks, it's just over an hour or like just under two hours. And if you're a fucking nutcase, mm-hmm. you can sprint it, like proper, proper sprint it. But with that, it, you're on the edge, mm-hmm. like all the way on the edge. And I just don't think like you get like the Baja Thousand and it's like over such a long distance. It you, makes you, you slow down. You're doing the, you, you're sprinting essentially, but it's not the same like intensity of uh, it's it's almost like a 800 meters. It's like the, the good dudes they can sprint it, but they're on the fucking red line. Whereas in a marathon, you just can't sprint mm. a whole marathon. So it's kind That's of that's why it's, it's an awkward. It's name. like this awkward distance, and it and it's like you're either gonna go f- balls to the wall and you're gonna sprint it, and you're either gonna fucking kill it or you're gonna not, and or you've got to back it down, and then you're out of contention. Like the, it's such a crate the yeah. zone that you have to operate in to win that race is on the absolute ragged edge and that's where it's different to everything else because like you know you've got the GNCCs in America and stuff and they're, they're around four hours I think you know yeah, three, three hours. four hours yeah. and you know so that's still that length where you do need to reserve something yeah. you know you need to and it's very stop start it is, slow corners yeah, yeah. and just nothing I, I think people something that people don't 
think about with this race is because it's not a circuit it's you know you're not doing lap after lap and and judging how you're going to do a corner better and everything you're approaching for two hours is new yeah you you practice you practice you practice but you know that on race day when you're going up to a dune and you know there's whoops on the other side but 150 150 and you have to launch it and hope that there isn't a new square edge that wasn't there before that you're going to land in or or a down rider yeah or just just something that's you you didn't foresee you know and that's where there's just this i guess you just gotta have big balls you know mm. you, you literally just need to switch off and go i know that it is what it is it is what it is but for me to win this i need to just hold it on and, yeah. and you don't get a chance to i'll get a better next lap no there's no next lap there's go now but also i think but the, t- the t- two yeah. the, the two field stops are interesting as well you you've got to go as hard as you can and then you've got to stop for mm. 30 seconds and then you've got to go as hard as you can and then stop for 30 seconds. And you've got to try and eliminate that weird time in the middle where you're getting back up into that state. To that race zone. Yeah. It's crazy. Because you're in a, you're in like a, you do enter a flow state mentally when you are in that zone of, you know, we had day, like there was one part on the Cape trip where I basically put my bike in fifth gear and held it flat until it ran out of fuel. Hmm. And then I was like, fuck, how long did that? Like, I don't remember any of that. Mm. I just I was going and then I wasn't but I'd done a whole tank of fuel top gear wide open and it's like but then to so you're in that flow state and you're in that like in the zone and then you have to stop do a fuel stop and then go again and it's like how long does it take you to even adjust back to that pace and like get into that same mindset well Mm. I I, I remember snippets of the race more like a dream than than something I'd sort of Mm. like literally remember it's just like you remember oh, i remember that you know bit where it went too fast and then launched and i was passing some guy yeah but it's sort of almost it's almost quite abstract and i yeah. actually in, in my head i I, tr- I remember it like i'm outside of my body yeah. and i'm watching myself do it i don't remember like helmet cam view like i'm i remember oh man i was you know and you imagine it's like if you remember doing a big whip you on a jump you remember yeah you know you you imagine the big whip from outside your body yeah that's how i looked and then you look at a video and it wasn't quite that yeah yeah no you are right that way i think it's all these these adventures of this race uh because you've all shared this adventures with other riders and and at the presentation or just from the years that follow you know it's it's sort of this kind of bank of stories that we're all collecting to tell our grandkids you know of these close calls we had or when we ran out of fuel practicing and we had to you know push our bike for 20ks to find a camp and you know like it's just it's just so remote and such an adventure yeah you know this place and at any point you could be having a chat to someone and they could trigger a memory that you'd forgotten completely about yeah. a time about yeah, a time, time down the track yeah. yeah and it just triggers from something like i once i once went pre-running with a mate and all we had was a van and we don't really use vans in the desert yeah they're not very good on dirt roads but yeah. um we had a van and we went down so we drove 250 k's out he followed me i loaded up the bike and we started driving back and um we got a flat tire and so we quickly changed it. But then 5Ks later, we got another flat tire. We didn't have a spare. And it was just in the middle of the week. No one was out there. And so we had to just drive home on this flat for 10 hours. But that flat went and then the other side went. And then the, the you know, it's front wheel drive, two flats. The tires just shred, come off. We're just on the rims driving at like 10 kilometers an hour for 200 kilometers. <laughs> like it just, it, 
those sort of things that you kind of forget about but yeah. then years later you go fuck that happened you dude know? we um we had when the fuck i can't remember what year it was but toby broke down we went out we had to go get him and we we're in one of my mate troy had like this sick i can't remember if it was like an f truck or a gmc or something like that but anyway we were fucking floating along and like by this point it's the the what's the day you come back monday yeah yeah so it's like the monday afternoon i'm fucking over it like it was a year that we spent a week of no sleep trying to get toby's truck ready mm. and then the fucking thing let's go with like 40 k's to go so then we drive down we grab him and we're just coming back we're just delirious at this point like laughing and carrying on like just everything's like all your fucking sensibilities gone and you're just losing it at everything yeah. And um and then the whole fucking front end, the right front end, just caves in on this F truck. So like we've gone to recover Toby. So there's like a his truck's on a flatbed. We've got Tobes, and then now we're waiting for a flatbed for the truck that we went out to yep. recover. To- and it was just like, yeah, one of those. You can't deals. ride this. Nah. You know, yeah. And then it's like fucking a five hour deal just to get yeah forty k's the same yeah. same sort of thing. But like along the way, we're stopping at all of these fucking busted ass cars and we're like just running amok like mm. trying to do anything that you can to keep your sanity like yep. based on the just complete fuckery of the situation well, ob- objectively that sounds shit but the way you're remembering it seems like it's the best it was just thing the f- ever it was just the most like funny random thing and like you it's sort of this place where it just doesn't seem like what gets thrown you're not surprised at what gets thrown at you mm. and then you just can't seem to get like crazy negative about it because you're like fucking yeah. we're welcome to Alice yeah. like it, it, it's it an is adventure. it is what it is it's you, know? an adventure. You, get, you get caught in a traffic jam and you're kind of late to meet someone in here in Gold Coast and you're going to be fuming you're yeah. going to be fuming but yeah, you'd blow two tires in your van and drive for f- like five k's an hour for two hundred k's, and it's now this amazing memory. Yeah, what's wrong with us? Yeah, <laughs> and I think it, it's. I guess it's weird because it's like you just kind of don't have a choice at that point, you know, like no. because there isn't. If you get two flat tires here, that then it's like you call it RSEQ. You kind of just get like time what? to just be pissed off, and then your day kind of moves along. But I think it's like when you when you're that remote and you don't have any other option like you you quickly realize that anger and frustration it just doesn't serve you like you cannot be angry for that 10 hour fucking drive home one thing i have learned being in the desert and driving in the desert is drive a toyota because other people drive toyotas and then you have other options for tires (laughs) that's fucking classic so yeah take take that home everyone the day before um filming so that i think the friday or the thursday everybody all the camera people were flying in and dylan took them down for a, a recce along the track to be like go here because he knows the track yeah film this direction that direction and they're not turning up back and what there was a flat tire situation yeah we had our whole like a 50 crew team waiting for to do the big meeting that is the meeting before the race yeah and, and i'm stuck out in the desert with a, a fucking Pajero. Um, well, I don't want to talk shit about Pajeros, but a Pajero. There wasn't many other Pajeros, so we didn't have any options. So I, I, yeah, you there's know. nothing wrong with the car. It's yeah, just the stud just pattern's not the same as a Hilux, uh, and everybody kept driving past. Yeah, and, and it's we, just like, oh, we can't help. And um, we actually had lent our spare to to Shannon Wrench, one of the car drivers, because yeah. he got a flat. So we lent it to him, and then, then no, he lent us his his tire, but then we got a fl- 
he got a flat, and then we had to give him. It was just fucking. It was just fucked. Anyway, so we we we. I hitched a lift with just a random person saying, "Can you get me back to Alice Springs? I need to be in a meeting now." So I jumped in there, and he had his daughter in the front seat with him, and he had to put her in the back, and she wasn't even in the seat, and it was just like, just fuck. a show. Yeah, it was just a show. But I mean, it's made the story all the better. How how um did you like? What was your experience with? film before this project like did you have a sufficient uh lead up of experience in terms of like steps or was this like really a fucking deep end project for you oh like this you know every film's <laughs> is, is a deep end project no i think you know you being a filmmaker mm. you know like how much time and effort goes into something this, and, this and is this, on a fucking pretty massive scale it's though. just the, the stress level that you have of of knowing the possibilities of what could go wrong and how many decisions you need to make to make that streamlined as possible. And just like in the race, you've got one shot yeah. and 200 Ks yeah. in one weekend and there's no redos. Yeah, look, but like in terms of experience, um, I've been doing this close to 10 years. Mm. I was 18 when I got my first sort of professional gig um, and started making short films and short docos and never anything about motorbikes. Um you know, me being Aboriginal and that, my background, and living in Alice Springs, a lot of the stories I want to tell are around Alice and around different issues and themes there. And, um, yeah, I've made some successful shorts and I've made, like, a one-hour for ABC before um, when I was about 21. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, this it was all just kind of building to something that could be bigger, but this was this was definitely a big a big leap. Um, but I think I mentioned before, my, my parents are both filmmakers. My dad's a fellow called Warwick Thornton, and he made a film called Samson and Delilah. Oh, okay. And then he made another film, um, which I helped him on a couple of years ago, called Sweet Country. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, he's definitely helped me along with my mum um, yeah. in sort of in guidance in some ways. But I kind of more so just sit back and watch how they do it. Yeah. And how it all rolls. Um, what to do and also what not to do what they do wrong yeah um so i think i've gained a lot of experience just by observing yeah that makes other people make films yeah um and what's the the reception been like on the the business side of it like is it something that is going to be uh financially profitable and then is that like what where does it sort of go from here yeah well as a as as a filmmaker making something of this scale you're sort of judged firstly by the quality of the film yeah and does it get any awards does it get critically acclaimed but then you're judged by does it make its money back yeah and we don't have a whole lot of pressure to make the money back in terms of uh paying people back like investment a lot of what we've got is a grant yeah which is we we are fortunate um living in australia to be able to have that yeah but if we don't make the same amount of money in the box office and through DVD sales as we was spent on it, it always looks as a failure. Yeah. So that's what we're faced with at the moment. And this is this is an is a commercial film. It should be viable and, and should make money. But for us to do that, we we do need to be successful in Australia in our cinema release and then with uh, downloads and DVD sales. Yeah. But for us to actually make that money back, it needs to be done internationally. So at the moment, there's a strategy kind of be made for for the states and for europe and so it has to go international to yeah, to be profitable yeah australia won't unless you know every average australian goes and watches it yeah we won't make 
the money back in cinemas here yeah and so when when is like the actual cinema release like is it out now how many cinemas is yeah it so in? look this is all pre-screenings at the moment yep. um uh, the, right now we have next tuesday which is december the 17th uh we have a, a big screening in melbourne at an 800 seater which is almost sold out oh perfect and that will sort of finish off the year for us now these pre-screenings yeah um these don't count toward these count towards the box office eventually but it's not officially released until january 23rd january 23rd okay. yeah so that's where that's where we need people to go and watch it and yeah. people to spread the word and and um, how many cinemas is it in that's still in discussion i mean yeah. the, the success of this tour will determine because uh. you know event cinemas are the biggest chain in, in australia and yeah. they call the shots in terms of what films they put in their cinema and what they don't yeah for example star wars is about to come out of christmas time we don't want to compete with star wars so we should delay our release until yeah. after star wars has been there for a while because yeah. Why would people come and watch Fink there and back? I mean, we'd ho- like to think that they would watch ours over Star Wars, but I mean, I want to go and watch Star Wars, so yeah. it's uh, that's all taken into into account. And um, event cinemas needs to get on board and put it into all of their chains, um, as well as I think if we can if we can crack that, we'll we'll be all right because we know that a lot of the smaller smaller boutique ones will do it yeah. they're happy to play films like this they're happy to, to take a risk but there's uh, not a lot of money being generated there yeah yeah. and, and there's a there's a specific like we're targeting a specific market yeah which we need to break know, out of that somehow yeah yeah although in, in saying that we, we go to the cinemas and we I've been asking now at the, at the screenings how many have been to the cinemas in the last month and it seems like about a quarter of yeah our, I've, of our, that's the first time I've been in the movies in fucking probably a year that yeah is, yeah yeah, and so we there's a huge market there that that isn't going to the cinemas now. Yeah, that would love to watch this, and you know, and so there's a lot of getting. How, how do you tell them that? How do you, how do you yeah. get people to to and know that? How do you bring awareness? And that's what this tour is doing, and we're selling out almost every screening every night, and you know, and obviously the reception is really good, and we hope that that'll then you know roll into January when yeah um, roll into January when. Uh, you know, it gets released for real, I guess. And I really want the average punter to not kind of go, why would I go watch in the cinema? Because I've got a home entertainment system and when it yeah. comes out, I can play it at home. Like I need, They need to understand that this is made in surround sound. Yeah. Like this is thinking surround sound with choppers flying around the room and bikes going left to right. And, and it was and really cool. noticeable. Yeah. Like it, it was a, um, it was a cinematic experience and, I, like, I was fucking so busy yesterday and I was like, I almost clipped it. I was like, you know, fuck, I just, I want to keep, like, I wanted to keep working. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I know he's had like a link and I was like, oh, I'll just get him to send me the link. And then I was like, nah, I've got to, I want to go watch it because, and, and for people listening to this, it's like, how many times are you going to get the chance to go and see something like this on a big screen? And it's like, we've all got fucking gangster tvs and we've all got Mm. home surround sound shit but it's like we don't as like i feel like there's an element of every kind of punter that's like in the scene that's like always saying oh you know fucking tennis oh there's another fucking (laughs) movie about tennis yeah but it's like all right well here is a film about what we do Mm. and if you ever want to see another one then it's like you have to support this kind of absolutely this kind of stuff if if this does fail i mean it's not (laughs) it's not going to fail but if if it did in cinemas in australia you won't see cinemas in australia putting another one up no in a few years and you guys honestly did it justice like i will definitely 
say that with confidence. Like, there, this wasn't a... Uh, fuck, what was that movie that the dirt bike racer or Disney... Like motocross? This, yeah, Supercross, motocross or winners whatever. Take all. Yeah, like, it, this isn't We've some... Watched I've watched them all. <laughs> this isn't some bullshit. Like, this is, like, a real, real story. It's really well done. And, like, I think you guys did it justice. And, and I would like to see success of this purely based on like what it could potentially mean for our industry going forward mm. well it's a it's a movie about what we do um that you can take your girlfriend to mm. or you know if you're a girl that rides you can take your boyfriend to or girlfriend to yeah you know you can take someone that doesn't ride and they will come away from it you know digging it yeah and and possibly understanding why we ride yeah just a little bit more. And this is bigger than just Fink. People need to understand that. Like, you know, the mainstream news isn't really playing the results for Fink. They're barely showing Toby winning Dakar, like yeah. over over other sporting achievements by Australians. And yeah. and this film being in cinemas and the success of that is actually adding to the whole scene and us trying to be recognised for, for our sport. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, man? Like, the whole, like, YouTube and all of this stuff and podcasts, like, it's really changing the landscape. And there is, like... There's guys that are, you know, in their 40s and 30s that have never really rode that weren't, like... Because I feel like motocross has always been this generational thing. And it's never... We've never really had that many people that... Um, like, four-wheel driving. You can buy a, a, a friggin' Triton and then you can put wheels on it and you can get your mud like you know your shit so you know get bogged and yep. put a root and you can become a four-wheel driver like that's like a common thing mm. and then you get into that industry and then you've got every arb thing you buy the magazine and it's like that's that's a pretty easy step and that shit happens all the time but i don't think we think about that with motocross or uh enduro riding as much but nowadays it is changing mm. i really do think that we're getting that 30 year old dude or the 40 year old dude that never really rode that much and is like bought a bike whether it's an adventure bike i think that's something that's really opened up our industry with like yamaha's bringing out an adventure bike harley announced last night with their um support of the film that they're bringing out an adventure bike i, th I think more people are starting to like funnel into mm. this sport uh and i i really believe that films like this are such a good gateway um, to get people yeah. like off the couch and, and into a dirt bike. And we've seen a few of them over the years, like Bruce Brown's On Any Sunday, the effect that that had and, yeah. and the way that grew the industry was massive, yeah. you know? And you've kind of seen it go up and then back down and up and back yeah. down. And I hope we're, we're at a point where we're going to start really going up again. Yeah, and well, and I, think, I, think, I think bikes had a stigma for a long time and I kind of feel like that's kind of drifting a drifting away now like it's not it's it's always been cool to ride a bike but now it's not cool because you're a bad boy it's cool yeah. because it's just because yeah. it's just cool I feel like Krusty and Demons came through and all that kind of image and bikes oh, and mate, sort of you, like yeah. you don't know the half oh, but then crazy. but then things like Nitro Circus kind of bring it back Steer into it back a little bit back yeah. into this is you know this is cool this is entertainment where you know we're we're just a bunch of fellas having fun and right? then and then and then racing it's they're working harder than footballers not yeah. to whatever but they're they're i don't think you know anybody works harder than a, an elite motorcycle athlete yeah just, well i think there's a definitely a part of even myself like 
the things that I made for Red Bull was porn. It was moto porn. Mm. And it was, you know, $100,000 lenses, $100,000 cameras, choppers, the whole... And it was like the elite of the elite and it was three minutes of just full, like, moto porn. And it, it's not... Now that I look back at it, I'm like, I didn't really make films to try and get people into motocross. I just made films for people who already liked mm. it. And I think that... It's a it's a bit of a trap because like I know I wanted to be like the coolest dude making the coolest shit for the coolest people around like it was so elitist and mm. I think that motocross and supercross is such an elitist version of the sport and I think it's cannibalized itself in that sense I think that's why we just didn't see much growth because you're right man on any Sunday mm. would have got hundreds of thousands of people into the sport and it, since but that then, showed everything that at it the did same time, and, it, yeah. and it showed it from a very innocent point of view of um to to help people understand the sport that didn't already yeah well it starts with this is the average man who looks like the average man but he's actually a motorcycle rider and then goes into it you know and um yeah i think like even like the the you know flat track which is sort of the origins of motorcycle racing you know on tracks um, especially in the states, like um, Scruff Hamill, who's in the film, you know, he's a he's a diehard flat tracker, and I've started getting into it, and I'm like, what is this sport? Like, yeah. why don't lots of people do this anymore? You know, this is where it all started, and I think, yeah, between motocross and supercross, all of those origins have have really fallen by the wayside. Yeah, yeah, and I would totally agree, and you can see now, like the the whole. Um, oh, see, speaking of elitist, Ben Townley fucking wanker <laughs> um right on the ball of your feet what's that yeah, i know just, he just he just yeah, yeah right you, just, right yeah, the left, left the voice message right on your toes bitch <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and I, I think that that stuff's really starting to to come back like the whole flat track thing like i'm going to watch jack race at the um the event um, on the weekend Jack Miller like he's oh true we'll, we'll be there me and Scruff are racing it oh so. are you racing that one Scruff yeah. fuck yeah yeah I'm gonna be out there for that one um, yeah Jack Miller's riding so yeah, cool yeah, I, I wonder I wonder whether like uh, sort of social media has allowed these 100%. niches to niches to Come thrive mm. yeah really yeah really big and everybody you know feels that they have a community now if you wanted to start flat track I would you know we had a flat track at, at motocross in Alice but nobody really no one wrote it. Nobody really wrote yeah. it. But you, you could go online now and hashtag flat track or hashtag yeah. long track, whatever, and find this community um, of people and get involved. I think that I think everything's just like leveled out. Mm. I think it just went like so fucking Jeremy McGrath, Ricky Carmichael, and then we lost those stars and. Mm. I'm massive fans of Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon and, mm. and all of these top dudes, but they're not carrying the sport in the same way. I honestly think motocross and supercross peaked with Chad, Ricky and James. Mm. Well, they were sort of like, they were on Letterman and you know, late night TV. They were kind of starting to break into the mainstream and then it's sort of all mm. the guys up now. Bubba's super- world. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, they're superstars in their own right. Yeah, but, but it's different. But it's different. They're not. They're not like you. Like you were saying before, you were making you know f- cool films for cool people. Yeah, to jack off together. Yeah, about the cool, that's, about and that's really what it was. And and you know yeah, those e like you know Ken Rocks and all that. They're they're not bringing new people to the sport, but yeah. the people that love the sport are like they're incredible riders. Yeah, but 
what brings news people to the sport think there and back yeah no for sure and and like i definitely think that that's like sort of the the tone and and the theme and and i there's a way um you know the start like even the way that you explained the race like it it was it's it's hard when you know a lot about the sport to just go almost like reduce it down to a very very simple Mm. message and a simple like i think that's actually a challenge when you know a lot about the sport Mm. and how do you do it in a way that like there was only one thing there was one like i can't and it was the tiniest little thing where i was like oh that was kind of hollywood yeah that, oh, there's a couple of them. Don't worry. There's, yeah, there's a there few was, very deliberate. There was, yeah, there was one that yeah. I was like, what, what was oh, "Fuck, I wish it'd I probably remembered. be." I reckon it'd be in the VO. It would be something that Banner said. I mean, I, I like every film I make. I've, I, I like. I hated this film a year ago. I couldn't watch it. You know, the think one. Yeah, but I haven't watched it in a year, so now I kind of like uh, it. Like it again. It's just that love hate relationship you have with your own work, yeah, and you're like, "Oh, true. it's shit," and then someone says, "Tells you it's really good," and you're like, yeah. oh, "It's all right." And then, you know, there was a moment where I was just like cringing at everything that I put in it because really? I was just over it that's but now I've come full circle and I'm, I'm enjoying it again but there's definitely there's 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 so many things in it it's I, the I river change. the oldest river in the world it is yeah how do you know that uh, where were you Wikipedia is, is tells you it's Australia no it is people say that the Nile's the oldest river in the world with water in it but the Fink River's older than the Nile so yeah right yeah I feel like everything come from Africa though well, Shit. I mean, we all were one continent. I don't know. We can get into this. <laughs> no, I just um, no. There was one thing. It was kind of towards the end. Where welcome it, but, to planet Earth. But yeah, it was that like the only Hollywoody sort of moment. Was and it if the it good, wasn't the bad, and the ugly of the race, was it that? No, 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 no. It was something. Was, very, that, was it like? Was it like holding on to a, oh, the edge of a cliff for two hours? You know what it was. That was a you know what it was. Quite you know what it was what was it it was the fu- no I, I, I was fine with all of it it was when fucking Stokey crossed the finish line yeah. and you could see that he'd slowed down yeah. and the bike noise was still exciting uh, oh, yeah I, I hear was. that every time yeah, I was like fuck uh, I was like don't worry that's one of those moments that um, that's some Hollywood bullshit yeah. right there well that's and it's at least it wasn't a two stroke also if oh, you yeah, keep an eye on it I only spotted it in the last screening there's yeah. actually a clip from uh, from Prologue right at the finish there is because we needed one of Stokey yeah, crossing line yeah. but I, I give them a pass completely yeah, because I get it yeah. but yeah. then the, the fucking yeah. I knew that that was like a sound dude I think that went in it for was. the dramatic like we um, that was it Glad you know, I remember it we have a massive sound mix for this and oh, even, fuck, even, even though it was massive and we had a whole team of people doing it um, we still just we ended up doing the final mix of the film at like midnight um, in June a and then year we and flew a half back, ago and we, yeah, on and like a Thursday it, before Fink and we flew back like, to we were Fink half asleep anyway I just things like that just uh, simply just running no, out of time and yeah and no one's gonna like nah. I'm picking that up because I'm a fucking uh, but we, we had know. a we had a massive a massive problem that was like we've shot all this footage from a chopper which has a perspective of being anywhere from 50 metres away from the bike to 100 yeah. metres away from the bike and so we need to create this sense of sound but how do you capture it is very 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 hard to how do how do you capture the sound of a motorbike or a car from 100 metres yep. away travelling at 150 kilometres an hour without getting wind noise like it was like how are we going to do this and so we, we had some specialty equipment and mics and tried to we after we'd filmed the race, we taped them to bikes and just yep. ripped up and down the track to try yep. and just get a... I've done the same shit. Yeah, we we contacted Red Bull for the enhanced audio. Oh, yeah. From Straight Rhythm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They they did that shit with that too, eh? But there was a lot of... 
there was a lot of sitting down with the sound designer and going, no, 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 you can't do that. Yeah, that's and, and that's sort like. of what I was getting at is yeah. like when when whenever there's a Hollywood sort of or like a feature film style thing around motorbikes, like mm. it's so fucking poorly done mm. and you can tell that it's like people that really don't know and even when you watch like Skyfall and yeah. it's like they've got a fucking you know they've got a probably like an old ctx 200 two stroke yep. as the sound for a fucking ktm 450 it'll cut between a two stroke and a four, a four stroke, stroke and, and you're stroke. just like what the fuck like it's really not that hard like just hire like get Matto in there the dude that rode the fucking bike and he'll tell you the sounds exactly. that you need to use exactly but so that's what i was getting at is like there was none of that there was literally one, there was one. that i noticed oh, it's, in, it's, in the I'm film good there's, i'm glad there's only one i mean there's a, there's an old think movie from like the 80s right and it's got this great footage of someone cruising along the road section they used to have this road section just flat for 20 kilometers and that's where like the cr500 would reach 200 kilometers an hour and and they had these shots of this guy like floating but the sound was like just an idling cr500 in a backyard with a dog barking next door (laughs) (laughs) you know like it's just because that's at that time that's all they could do to dub in audio you know but we've we've gone a long way for me the most amazing sound in the film is is really subtle and you have to watch it in a cinema but whenever they're riding and they pass trees yeah we put a little psh, 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 uh, every tree and to me it just it adds that kind of sense of was, speed and moving through nature so incredibly fast yeah there was a um there was a slow motion shot where you could see the front wheel hitting whoops and there was like a, some real subtle effects yeah, whenever the front wheel would hit and like yeah little tires hitting the ground and, yeah. and the suspension going in and out little spring noises yeah yeah I brought yeah. that I brought that up like at the last screening I said I'd never I'd never heard that I'd never listened for that and I went oh that's amazing yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of work into the sound of this and that's why that's want why you to have to go the to theater. the cinema like yeah. you won't not you will not get that on your laptop when you stream it off iTunes later no. on or whatever it no. won't be there no, but, I mean it, it will still sound great, but it just won't be that experience. Yeah, and, and it was worth it, man. Like I've seen, I've fucking seen everything when it comes to motocross in terms of whether it's live at events in stadiums, straight rhythm, fucking you name it. And this was worthwhile to see as a as a visual and auditory experience. Like going to the cinema and seeing it was definitely. It was worthwhile for sure. So, what what got you into um, filming back in the day? Pretty much motor? just sucked at motocross. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Sounds fair like enough. me. <laughs> yeah, like well, it was what I, it was just one of those things where like all oh, it's what I done, it's what I wanted to do. Originally, I wasn't even into filming. I've always been really good with words, so I was going to be a, a journalist. So I actually worked for Stroke Magazine. So I would I did a bunch of interviews with writers at like the state titles because it was like I grew up with Jats, Todd Waters, Luke Weaver, uh, Wilson Todd, Richie Evans, Mitch Evans, like Wade, you Wade you Hunter. You would have seen me in Stroke. That's why I reckon that you would have come yeah, across me yeah. much. Did you write met. the Northern Territory articles for Stroke? No, no, no. Who was that? I don't know. I didn't know there was Northern Territory articles. Th- there was like a, every state did oh. like a state report. Remember who did that? I reckon they must have been Darwin Mob. Yeah, Darwin. maybe. Um, but yeah, I would. I, I'm. I was sure that I'd met you before you, your accident. Um, but yeah, anyway. So I I worked at Stroke for a while, and then uh, I just fucking hated your Eve, to be honest. Like I just could not get along with the dude, and and I was super young as well. And um and then after that, because of how good Verb was doing, I was like, I'm just gonna copy Verb. Like no one's making like web edits. Guy Streeter was doing loam 
um, and Loam 2, like there was a couple of films being made, but no one was doing like just web edits every every week. So then I ended up getting a credit card for seven grand. I bought a Sony EX1 and that tripod that's right there still. And then I, um, I just fucking lived out the back of my van. That's where the whole gypsy thing come from. Yeah. It's because everyone, had, like they started calling me the gypsy because I just fucking spent two years living in a van i'd stay at luke george's house for three weeks and then i'd go to the national with him and then i'd stay at troy carroll's house and then i'd stay at this person's house I just constantly for two years was staying at different people and learning how to film like i didn't know how to film i just knew that but i knew how the verb stuff looked and how it should look hmm. and then i just got final cut seven and a and a ex1 you get, you get the big box What's that? Seven box. No, I just had like I just had it on a on the computer. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and then I just learned how to learn how to edit, bought a laptop, and figured it out. But yeah. yeah, but it was basically because I I just wanted to stay in the industry. Like I didn't want to get a job. I wanted to be in the in the industry. But I just knew I wasn't good enough to do it. But yeah, well, like on that, you're not filming anymore, are you? Not really. What but it's, it's of, amazing how things progressed. Like I, you know, it's happened countless times with you know surf filmmakers or documentary makers who then go on and kind of surfing was their interest and then they started documenting it but then they started making music videos for people yeah. and then suddenly they're making another doc about something different and then they're making a feature and it just it they progressed into the different career yeah, through film spike jones perfect yeah. example yeah, skating of, yeah um you know you've seen it with like mouse mccoy and stuff with um dust of glory and they yeah. went off and did feature films taylor and, Steele. yeah so I mean it's 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 Rob, pretty Rob Zombie. Yeah, Rob Zombie. For, yeah. Rob Zombie's incredible. It's there's yeah. so many ways to get into this industry of making films, but it, it seems that one one great way is through yeah. this sort of through your sport, through documenting that and yeah. just progressing. And nowadays it's so crazy, like even the whole thing that's happening with like this channel and and now you know it's like I, there's literally no limits on the content that i can make people just we have a fucking awesome audience of really great people and they're just like yeah whatever just do whatever you want just post it and i'll watch it yeah it's a crazy crazy time and i, I think i think that's even one of the things that r- makes me really appreciate this film even more is the fact that like we live in a time where this shit doesn't really get made like the effort that goes into your film the way like the years and years of work that goes into it it just doesn't happen a lot these days especially in these kind of industries yeah i think i i live in this sort of romantic idea that i'm going to be able to finish off a career not retire but finish a career where i have my work and the copies of my work on a shelf like Mm. a person who writes books like there's my books there's my films there's my posters from my films and it's sort of you know, I might only make ten films in my life, but I want them to be uh, something that's, I guess, I'm happy with, or yeah. you know, special for me, and something I'm proud of. You know, and that's what Think has become for me. Well, we yeah. live in a, a world of the web web edits and yeah. li- and live streaming and live events. Not to now, take that away from stream- that at all. No, but, but yeah. they, they they come and go. And then yeah, you, you, you know, a live event, you're looking forward to the next one as soon as that one's over. Yeah, whereas. Um, this film should be timeless. Should be timeless, yeah. and you know that's why the the great, you know, on any Sunday and um, uh, endless summer dust, and yeah, yeah dust, dust of glory. glory. They yeah. kind of live on. It doesn't yeah. really matter what year you watch it, and you can show someone in ten years um, on any Sunday, and they'll still be like, 
Dirt bikes are awesome. This is making me want to watch on any Sunday again, actually. And it still holds that, up yeah. so well. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Oh, I, Same I with Endless Summer. I don't know what year it was filmed in, but it, it was, just... What do you mean? It's, it's the 70s. 70s. Yeah, but 70s. I'm sure that that film wasn't... It was filmed and wasn't released for two years because it just took so long to put together. Like, Dust of Glory wasn't released for like three years after it was filmed. Yeah. And you still don't know what year that race was actually captured, you know? Yeah, well, um, that's the thing. Uh, a lot of people... I get a lot of people saying like, oh, I want to hear more of your story, more of your story. And uh, I'm actually going to just write a book. Mm. about the first 100 episodes of the podcast and then kind of like weave there's my story in there in terms of like how each person came mm. to be and how they fit into the puzzle because it's like i've thought about it and it's like if people really care enough to know then you can fucking read a book about it and it's and it's there and it's like that same thing of like it's on a shelf it's not fragmented and posted all over social media and it's like there for 24 hours on a story some mm. meaningful you know fucking meaningful caption of like oh and then this is the, this how it's like Bless. i don't really want to do that that stuff because there is uh there is this i don't know there like maybe romance is the way like the way you describe it there is a view of these kind of immortal mediums of either print or film like they just don't go away yeah but the internet shit does and i even think about my career of of film like fuck i've got hard drives all over the world that mm. you know i've just got shit on it's like you, you just sort of don't have hard copies of things nah, these days zeros and ones yeah. and, I, and i've got to go onto youtube to watch some of the edit and they've got millions of views but it's i don't know what does it fucking mean yeah, they're was, still trying to me. work out how to preserve all this like what scares me even making these films is like we used to make film prints of yeah. your final film a 35 mil print you'd have your master and then you'd have hundreds of copies around the world and then you know they'd be stored and that at least it was a physical thing and yeah. they're still working out because hard drives stop working they fuck they up they demagnetize and, and you know and we've got like um, dat tape and things that we can kind of store things on for a bit longer but it still doesn't Mm, it's uh, not the same yeah it's, it's not, not the analog. same we do however in Australia have a national film and sound archive where things like Fink go into and become the history of this country like, yeah, like right. you can go in there and just search for things all the way back from the beginning oh, of wow. film production you know and it costs money to get them out but like it's a safe place it's funded by the Australian government it's a yeah, place right. for things to be stored um, and you can buy yeah you can buy clips and it you know that helps pay for the preservation of Australian yeah, film. Right. yeah. still I mean because it's Australian TV, culture TV, that's what we're adding to yeah you know? TV yeah. gets lost as well TV's ephemeral yeah um like the internet and you know you, you still you know find tv shows from the 70s and they actually end up on the internet yeah that's where you can find anything now it is crazy. crazy like i was watching um the 2005 motocross nations the other day i was just like because mm. it's going to earn a this year and i was like i'm going for sure so i was like fuck i want to watch that because ben did really well mm. at it as well and um yeah was, was he riding on the ball, balls of his feet he then? was yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you watch anyone bro like anyone that's good it's like fuck it's blowing my mind though um how, how much data did you end up with overall for the film what was the final number uh look we shot a lot like it's all 4k yeah um, but we did sh- deliberately choose a lot of cameras that were compressed 4k so i think you were using a lot of fs5s and fs7s FS a lot yeah. of fs7s were yeah. on the ground because it was just the most affordable camera to yeah. get They're fucking good 30 of them yeah um we, and had to, then, we had to go to three states to get enough of the cameras. did you guys have to buy it did you just buy the cameras nah, or you I rented them yeah. yeah yeah or rented um i had one myself which yeah. i was already shoot, shooting on um yeah. but i think we shot was it 50 terabytes or 100 terabytes 
It wasn't too bad. Like, it was a lot of hours, but there was a lot of compressed stuff in there. Yeah. We only had three reds. Like, if we shot the whole thing on reds, yeah. it would just be, it's just a waste of data for that type of thing. Yeah. I only used them for very select high-speed stuff. Yeah. Um, I think in the choppers, we had F55s, which yeah. do a great job with some Ongino zooms and all the technical stuff. But, yeah, I think we were looking at a 50 to 100 terabytes all up. Fuck. Yeah. How many editors are working on it? Uh, it, there was one main editor, Marcus Darcy, and then uh, Kelly Cameron was his assistant, but they were actually both simultaneously editing. And then yeah. I had my own edit as well. So for, for about four months, it was the three of us, and I would cut down interviews to a manageable size, like take a two-hour interview. You were just doing selects of Do selects, yeah. give it to them. They can start weaving it through. I'd also, I also did all the selects of the chopper stuff because we had like, I think, 15 hours of chopper And you footage. need to know. Yeah, so I just go in and go, look, this is... Yeah, there's no goon shit. No. in the film at all like there's no weird moments where it's like everything was you could tell was carefully selected by mm. somebody that understands the sport and I would I mean not everything in the film's perfectly in order in terms of when it like not when it happened but there might be a shot from somewhere that I slipped earlier because I yeah, really need yeah. a shot there yeah it makes sense but I would do that knowing that the terrain was so close and the shot's so tight that no one who actually knows will ever even know um, so even in that sense I was taking care not to put a shot from the end of the start and the start at the end and yeah. do all of that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. It, it was very evident that um, I, I didn't understand, well, I didn't know your history of mm. writing, but it, it was very evident that this film was done by somebody that understood the race and motorcycles mm. very well. Yeah. Which I think <laughs> is fucking very important when you're doing a film like this. It is. And, it, and with everything, like I couldn't, I'm into surfing, but like I couldn't go really make a surfing film to the detail that someone who yeah. really understands a certain wave or a certain break or a certain story. You know, I'd have to make a surfing film about a character that was kind of not really about surfing at all. Yeah. Because I don't fully understand it, you know. Yeah. Because um, it's, 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 what does it mean and how does it feel? And you have to, know that and feel that to yeah. show that yeah, and I guess reveal that I think I made a decision early on when making stuff that it was really important for me to make stuff that was close to my heart or kind of I guess from my home and like yeah. I don't really want to travel overseas to make a film about someone over there because there's someone already there to make that film yeah like this sort of sense of owning your own stories yeah telling your stories is really important to me and um and I think that applies to all disciplines and all sports and that there is someone who's coming up through that uh, in, in a career in, in in media and film within that own world and they should have the opportunity to take that I don't want yeah. to walk in and do it in, instead you know yeah that makes sense yeah so Isaac with your with your race um, that you did it was pretty fucking special to see you start passing people through the field like what was your you mad dog yeah what was your like did you think that that was was that your plan was to like i'm gonna have a real crack at this or were you purely just trying to just well, survive so that, so that you know you kind of close the storyline well initially it was just get there and back um well, they make you start last they made me start five minutes behind the last bike i yeah. i knew i'd be fine because in, in the lead up there was a lot of issues with my bike a lot of issues with my bike and um, we finally got it going Thursday before and I got to ride from 40k back and everything technically worked but my suspension was like impossible to work with because it's sort of set up for a 65 kilo rider to ride in the you know uh, in like single track 
and I was probably 85 kilos plus all the extra equipment was probably another 15 kilos mm. and it was just rebound it was bottoming and rebounding and nearly sent send me over the bars and you ride in a very different way yeah so I'm seat bouncing every yeah. walk as well and um and so I came back the Thursday before the race and said, this is, this is like, that was fun, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it all the way down there. So we rang around, we spent that day and the next day ringing around people to try and find someone that had suspension, fink suspension for a big dude, because we knew it needed to be hard and um, that would fit my bike. Yeah. And we ended up finding someone on the Friday and got that in Friday night. And while they're prologuing, I went out for 10 minutes to just, you know, some, um, like a quarry somewhere and rode and that was the first time that with a muffler that my bike felt like a race bike wow and i knew it'd be sweet it sat up and it turned good and i was like yeah, this actually feels like a race bike so i knew i would be fine at that point and but before that it was like just gonna be a really gentle i've got to be careful i don't get yeah. destroyed but once i got that suspension in and the exhaust on which really just turned it into a race bike it was yeah i knew i, I knew i'd i knew i'd i'd do all right i knew i'd be able to pass some people and there's always you know it's a it's a race there's 650 people there and there's no prerequisite to go in the race yeah which you know that's that's riding and it's just you know so many people are just out there to experience it experience it and you know i'm a bit competitive probably maybe (laughs) i think like the thing is you're because you're a you're at the speed of a mid-pack fink rider but they start you last for safety there's there's all these people who you're automatically you couldn't prologue quicker. like they wouldn't let you do it into as like an, a legitimate ca- a contestant well, the th- i would be i reckon i mean this is being a bit cocky but i reckon i'm kind of in the bits that i'm fast i'm probably top 100 yeah. speed and the bits that i'm slow i'm really slow yeah so there's sections in the middle of the track where it's kind of just weaving around or there's no whoops but it's really choppy um and also the road sections i'm like really really fast um, but then the whoops are, I'm really, really, really slow. And I just yeah. don't, you know, I use There's no as, way around it. Like, no, really and I actually, and I use those as, um, I use those break. as, uh, yeah, they're a break. For everyone else, the whoops are like, oh no. Oh, for me, I'm like, well, I've just, I'm not going to try here because if I yeah, do, I'll probably can't. crash. Yeah. So I'm just like looking for lines and riding the very edge of the track. If you see me in the film, I just, yeah. I ride, I hug the edge um, and uh, cross, cross lines a lot. Everyone, you know, a lot of people just inevitably, and you would have seen it, they come into the inside of corners drift out wide mm. and everybody just follows that same line and i was outside crossing early i was on greater tracks at times because mm. nobody's nobody's taken that line and i just yeah i sort of just i, I didn't smart about it eh? just be smart about it i didn't like i didn't ever see more than like riding i didn't ever see more than 40ks down the track i went i think halfway with dylan in a car once so i was a little bit of a tourist as well oh so that you're that was like the first time that you'd even really rode the full way down yeah yeah and even the other the other races that i did because i it was my fourth thing dylan's done eight i done four i finished three dylan's finished three <laughs> dylan doesn't talk about the ninth one that he did as well that he didn't finish because <laughs> it was in a car <laughs> we don't mention that we don't mention that uh yeah no and even those ones i i never i once i started at 80k and rode back but i just always had little teething problems with my bike that never got me all the way there uh, and back so i was a little bit of a i was a bit of a tourist and um but which meant i guess i was really conscious of you know what was coming up and looking as far ahead as possible and finding those lines um but 
also I guess like you know I knew how quick I could stop as well so yeah. I could go fast yeah. knowing that you know if I need to I, I can come to a stop pretty quick I'm not you know out of control at all yeah um, it's interesting because I'm I'm I don't get arm pump I'm strapped to the bike which in some ways you know, and there's no there's not really not really uh, an advantage but let's pretend there is but the advantage is that that for everyone else they're gripping the bike and they've got steg pegs I guess and yeah trying to hold on and they're going over here and they're going over here and then their arms pump up because they're trying to hold themselves on the bike I'm strapped to it so I'm not I'm not sliding off yeah and I've got this big brace that kind of holds me upright so I'm not even flying back and, and I'm also in this really triangulated kind of position yeah and so I'm in a really strong position on the bike um, using my back and my shoulders and so I you know don't you get, can relax your arms really. I could relax my arms a little bit and, and I was because I had so little prep I was learning to ride as, as you were going as I was going and I was half an hour quicker on the way back because I just you know knew basically it was working to the point where I knew I couldn't power and pick up speed through whoops but I could come into them quick and just bounce and know my bike's going to stay straight my steering dampener's cranked up as hard as it can go yeah. and know it would stay straight and it was just really kind of stable and I just sort of go, and I could even then I could just like rest my hand, knowing like I'm not breaking too hard, and I could just let it flow, and then obviously then start rolling them and you know cruising through. If I'd ever tried to, momentum is your friend. Yeah, a hundred percent. It keeps you straight. A hundred percent, and you know even you know it's I only when you back to, off you get in trouble. Well, I even would start to, um, you know, like uh, use the whoops to turn in corners, and you know there'd be a yeah. whoop around like that. I would sort of. And then use it to turn and turn and use that to momentum, I guess, to jump to the inside and ride like the off camber insides. Yeah, really smoothly. Whereas again, everybody else. But I think look, a lot of the guys out there are just are just they're riding smart. They're riding safe. Yeah, they've got a family and they just want they want to be a part of this event and, yeah. and tick the box. And for them, they're racing their mate who's next to them. And Isaac comes crew cause, through because he's still ultra competitive you know that that part of your brain of being a racer hasn't switched off for yeah. him at all and and you know 80 percent of the riders in this in this race are like over 35 yeah you know and then like 50 or percent are over 45 you know we've got all these guys that are just i don't know if they're going through a midlife crisis or what's going on or but it's just that bucket list thing because that's like thing. me i'll be you know i'm 31 now so it's like whenever i fucking get around to doing it it's like i'm probably going to be mid-30s and yeah. And just like out there, and fucking misses is going like, well, if I could stay safe, and you got two kids or whatever, so it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Don't show her the film. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what. We, well, at one point, I came up behind a quad, and he started racing me. And quads are really kind of hard to ride with again, like next to, because they kind of tra- what's called tram track them. Yeah. They just, just kind of cruise across like this. And he started racing and looked at me and kept racing, and so I slowed down. I you know don't want a quad coming in next to me. And my sweep rider, Jamie, he pulls ahead, jumps in front of the quad, fishtails to dust him out and slows right down and then I could go past. Yeah, the, quad, right. the quads should just give way to motorbikes. Yeah. Like a, yeah hashtag, yeah. Nuke, hashtag nuke the quads. Hashtag nuke the quads. <laughs> yeah. We love quads. It must we have also been, love trucks. Uh, it must have been <laughs> special doing it with your brother. Yeah, he'd never done it uh, either. Like like in the lead up, he would actually come to the, uh, to the SA state motocross rounds that I would go to on, on Fink Weekend. Um, because we were, you know, we grew up there, but, you know, where Dylan grew up with this race being this, you know, kind of really special yeah. event, for us it was like, I wanted to be a Supercross star. Yeah. I wanted to be a motocross rider. 
Um, I'd seen kind of Craig uh, Craig Carmichael come through and a few other um, Alice and um, AJ Roberts was from Darwin and he came he came through racing motocross in Alice and Darwin and uh, Brett and Shane Metcalf came up one year for the state titles and they were just incredibly fast. Yeah, um, they came up in this Bedford van with their um, Honda Junior Honda team there used to be an old junior honda team yeah and they came up for the state titles and they were just incredibly fast and it was like that's what i that's what i want to do um and again because I, I would ride against the fink riders around motocross at 15 and they they weren't that great at motocross they're incredible in the desert and i had no hope of you know touching them but i'm like i want to be a motocross rider and be a supercross mm. star uh yeah and so my brother you know he was he was more i want to be a tradie and have a family yeah but it was amazing, you know, to ride it with him. And he's he's so skilled. Like, he's he'd never try and he'd almost be as fast as me. And I'm out running and training and going to the gym and he's just... It's that typical beers. brother thing we see in racing. One of them just yeah. tries harder than the other and the other one's just naturally... That was, yeah. that was me and my brother. Yeah. 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 And uh, so it was good to, you know... And, and it was actually a good kind of entry into the race to him because he was... Um, he didn't have to try too hard. Yeah. He, see, he, he crashes his brains out so much. I, I'm not Did he a, crash while you were doing the, while in the race? No, or? but he if you look in the film, he struggles to start his bike at the first fuel stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he didn't get a big tank and he ran out of fuel going into the fuel stop. Oh, wow. So it's dry and he's got to pump the fuel back through. Uh, oh, <laughs> I he thought ran he out a couple of times and just caught up to you, didn't he? Yeah, he, he ran like, out a couple of times. fuel from someone at a uh, camp and let Isaac keep going and then just catch back up. Well, he, I was wondering if he was like actually struggling to keep up with you. No, well, but other years, that like the other years would, I've had some wild situations the other years where, where my sweet riders couldn't keep up with me and I lost them and one guy had a had a um, a, oh, a a bolt come out of his handlebars and his handlebars started moving so he's pulled into just a oh. camp and gone whoa where's the I needed so he's like scrounged a bolt from someone and I pulled into the field stop and I had three riders with me that year and there's only two that turned up and we're like ah yeah, he'll figure it out we've still got two and we just kept going um, but no, he was, he was, he's, he's a real fast rider. He actually went back the next year. Um, no prep. I think he did half a pre-run, um, kind of again. And he won the 250F class, I think. Wow. Or got second in the 250F class. Look, he could have got third. He got 50th outright. What's it like? Have you ever done the track on the 250F? No. I, um, my first year was a 252 stroke. Okay. And second was a 450. I sort of skipped it, which was very, very stupid because I was a tiny little, skinny kid and yeah if i had stuck to the motocross program and and i mean my dad never did motocross he just did think like so i didn't really understand motocross and I, he wasn't going to take me to motocross so i sort of had to do it myself and so i didn't really do that 85 mm. 250f junior 250f senior I, I didn't do that thing so it was just sort of like he bought me a 450 and mm. that's what i had when i was 17 <laughs> he's like there you go I'm like, okay. And that was an ex-Fink bike and the thing was like fucking fast. Yeah. yeah. And lucky I didn't kill myself that year, but I think it was like the second year on that 450, I snapped my shoulder and um, that's where the, the accidents and the heartache started mm. happening. I wonder what it'd be like to do on a 250F. Well, they used to race 125s and there'd be people cracking the, cracking the top 20 on 125s and they were Fuck. mantled. Yeah, like, I don't like, know how they didn't see I was going to say, I'd just be worried about the thing exploding. The only, I think pretty thing much exe 125, KDMs were the only things that would hang together. I think, like yeah, speed. the thing is you can ride a stock 450 
down that track with some good suspension yeah everything and be quite competitive whereas a 250f you i feel like you need to if you really if you want to win that class you have to have a bombed bike yeah you'd have to which and is then just you, so risky then you have risk of breaking it and the money and everything else so i think like it's a, it's just a cheaper option to get a slightly bigger bike and yeah. just ride it on yeah. that track, yeah. Like, there, yeah. there's some people, you know, very close. They, they crack, did they crack the top ten or very close to cracking? Didn't the top Jack 10? Simpson go pretty hard on a 250? Yeah, he came year? fifth or sixth or something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's mad. Man, that was crazy. That you, I remember that crash that he had. Like he fucking almost killed himself in that mm. crash, and like it was crazy to see the emotion on his face when like he was explaining that story. Like that, that rattled his cage, eh? Like he really, you could tell that he was like, "Fuck, man, no, yeah, this was this could have been bad." Yeah, I mean, he was having a very good prep, like everything had gone right, you know, and he was looking very, very quick. Um, but one one slip up in the whoops, and and that's that, you know. We're lucky to have had access to the hospital. We had already had many meetings with the general manager of the hospital, saying, "Look, if one of our characters gets hurt, and we want to follow the story, we're going to want to come in." with a camera at no notice so yeah. we need to kind of discuss this so we did and th- that was one thing that happened with jack and um so yeah we got we got into the into the hospital and got access only a couple of hours after his accident and once he was you know kind of stable and awake and could talk and um yeah so for us it was a it was amazing to be able to be there and capture that but i mean it was still heartbreaking for me and for him and yeah all that work for that I think because this race is just this thing that happens once a year and there's these people that that's all they do yeah they'll do one race a year think you put a lot of pressure on yourself when you do that for like toby and whatnot when they're doing all these other programs this is just another thing in the calendar well that's kind of like toby it that was toby's once a year thing and now his once a year thing's dakar yeah so it's like i don't know in that world of you know the baja 1000s or the Mm. it's like you get these specialists and i think that's why these races have so much history is because to be the best at that one race, it almost takes a twelve-month prep. But mm. what? What? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. But Jack, Jack came back and raced it, and came. Um, he got a third, and then he got a fourth, I think, last year. And you shot his interview much after the race, didn't you? I shot his interview after the race when he's all healed up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's all healed up, and in this film, you'll see it, and he goes, "You either, you either got it or you don't." And I think I've got it. And this mm. was six months after that. Yeah. After that accident. After that accident. He wanted to race. Like we filmed him. Yeah. We filmed him. Because I was like talking to um, Glenn Carney, who was the, the the manager for the KDM off road team, and I was talking to him, and he's like, "No, Jack's not racing." I'm talking to Jack, and Jack's going, "Yeah, no, yeah, I'm racing." No, I'm ra- yeah, I and, remember like, it being and the team's there, going yeah. like, looking, look at going like, he can't race. We yeah. know he can't race, but he's just he just doesn't want to let the team down. We've got footage, Dylan. Remember of him, he's he's walking to sign on, and he goes, "Oh shit!" and he cuts off his hospital band and throws it in the bin so yeah. we can still sign We've on got to the that. race. Like, I, I end up cutting it out because it just kind of at that point we want to fast track yeah. into the race. But yeah, yeah, he's 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 literally broken ribs cracked vertebrae nah still racing yeah he's one of the cooler kids going man like he's a super fucking nice cool kid and he's just done sweet whips on his CR250 so he should yeah (laughs) but he'll be back again you know I think it's become that thing for him and it's just he got third the following year didn't he he came for third the following year yeah and then I think fourth last year um Um, so what's the so we got the theatrical lease uh, release coming up on the 23rd mm-hmm. um, and then what's January. Ja- of January and what's your I think we'll wait to release this sort of s- around that I'd, I'd say yeah um, so that you guys sort of it's also it's also actually the first screening in January is 
at IMAX in Melbourne, which is going to be mental. Yeah, right. On the 14th or 15th of January. Cool. And then it'll go into general release on the 23rd. Yeah. And then through the May, it'll really get a push in February. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, everyone in the, you know, moto and... But like, if you live in a place that ha- we haven't put a screening on, like if you email your local cinema or the closest one to you and say, I want to watch this film and a couple of you do that, it will come to you. Like yeah. the cinema will buy it and play it. Yeah, okay. That's how it sort of works. Like we can try and convince them to play it, but if they don't know you're there, yeah, they won't no play it. Yeah, there's no well. Yeah. And digital's helped cinema releases hugely as well. You used to have to spend $3,000 on, on a film print yeah. every cinema. And if you think... Something like a Star Wars that went to two thousand cinemas is two three thousand dollars per screening. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And now we're in a digital. It's really easy for a little cinema to to get this. We send up a hard drive and they can they can play it. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's how it works. Yeah. Then, it's yeah. all digital. Um, they're like protected, really amazing files. Like yeah, the yeah. Old, cinema DNGs. Cinema DNGs. Yeah. yeah. Um, or uh, DCPs, yeah. Digital Cinema Project. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's a it's amazing and it allows this film rather than doing five prints and you know staggering it we can yeah. we but can yeah. show everyone at the same time in the smaller cinemas or the bigger cinemas and in the smallest but towns I mean we've gone through Lismore yeah. which is small and that sold out a screening whereabouts in Lismore yeah okay Lismore cough sold, sold out two rooms I mean we've over the last seven days we've pretty much sold out every screening and we're still going to have to just try to convince all the theaters that there's an audience for this they might yeah. not have ever come to your cinema and watched a film before but there's an audience that will come and watch and it. We, we see a row of bikes out the front of the cinema every time yeah because they've like we and i that's so again i ask and there's like about 15 about only about a quarter have been to the cinemas in the last month and like you said it's the first time you've been in ages yeah yeah so it's gonna hopefully bring a huge audience yeah Fingers crossed. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. There know. must be a huge amount of meaning for it to finally be on on screens and, you know, seeing people enjoy the film. Like, I gen- I've genuinely enjoyed it so much. Mm. And it's like, I'm sure everybody that was there last night yeah. had that same feeling. I think in not se- having seen the trailer for yourself and, and genuinely enjoying it, that's what we want. We don't want to put the expectations too high, but, you know... Um, yeah for me it is the ultimate reward as a creative as a filmmaker is to see an audience watch your film and not just one person at home watching it by themselves it's yeah. the, it's the it's the enjoyed the shared experience it's yeah. that if someone laughs at something in a theater other people yeah. resonate th- from that well like when the like the the graphic of Damon's passing on mm. the screen and it was like you could feel the fucking life get sucked out of the room you know, it's like it makes it it's impactful when you are in that um, environment and feeling it with other people. Mm. And it's the discussion that people will have when they drive home together about yeah. the film. It's the continued experience that we want, and you don't get that watching something at your home entertainment center. Yeah. So yeah, look, everyone, get out there. Well, and, we, and watch we, it. we 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 I watched it you know every edit you would send through I would watch an edit and you're obviously just watching footage constantly but you kind of don't get a sense of how it feels until you watch it in a cinema with a big audience and you feel it all together yeah. and there's yeah. there's kind of a it's like oh that joke landed yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so what's next for you boys like is this going to be a a director producer partnership that you hope to continue well well uh, Isaac's worked on different films that I've done in different ways and I've shot stuff for him and 
you know, this is a lifetime friendship and yeah. and will be a working relationship, but we also do things separately. Um, Isaac has an awesome TV series. He's going into development or financing at the moment. For hey, a- what's that about? ABC Kids. It's ABC Kids. It's, uh, it's about some kids that uh, get a chance to go to an elite motocross training camp in Alice Springs. Yeah, right. So it's ABC Kids, all scripted, scripted kind of comedy drama. Ten half hours. Yeah. Really, so be, it should be. That'll be that'll live be action huge kids live motocross action. series show in Australia. Wow. So it's going to be a really, as you said, you know, most Hollywood stuff does get it wrong, and this is going to be a bad, a, a really big challenge to try and keep it. I'm already finding that, you know, we've gone through writing for the last kind of couple of years, and writers just don't get it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like it's going to be, you know, I'm you know on board and i've just got to make sure uh, as one of the creators and i i'm i'm just constantly making sure they get shit right and yeah. stuff doesn't make sure two strokes sound like two strokes and yeah. strokes i'm, I'm actually putting all the kids are 13 14 15 and they're all riding one to fives because they're small enough that i don't think they'll get into trouble but also big enough that you could get oh i just want to get cody mackie to come and do all the stunts because He's a rad or just have, all you, of, have yeah. you reached out you know how to get no, on not yet no, uh, well yet, let me help yet. you with that but uh, I think that's what we'll find he you, rides at the, KX80 better than KX85 better than anybody do you you know who else could be really cool is Dylan Long ah yeah that's the fucking guy that you should get whips whips yeah. um, so it's sort of trying to find because obviously there'll be kids acting sort of like 15 16 year olds yeah but then you'll have doubles doing a lot of the writing for them because that's just the, the, the Dude, rea- Jack, reality Jack as well Jack, Jack Simpson yeah but yeah, so we're looking pushed, for looking for like little dudes and uh, you know men and women who yeah. can kind of sell as a 15 16 year old but then like <laughs> yeah. I, I know that you know when someone who can't ride gets on a bike they don't look like someone who can ride who gets on a bike even just sitting there yeah. starting it, all of those things like we're gonna have, we've got two weeks of um, bike camp yeah. for the actors once you know, once it goes into production, and how far is it away from getting a green light? Uh, we have gotten the at this stage, December. We've gotten the green light from everyone, bar one, um, bar one investor. Bar one investor. We've got South Australia. We've got um, ABC, uh, Australian Children's Television Fund, which is one of the you know biggest producers of kids TV in Australia. They've loved it and pushed it from the start. Um, and ABC Kids have pushed it from the start. They're kind of, they're kind of trying to move into a more of a Netflix style model where yeah. they don't produce massive amounts of it, but they produce much higher quality content that can go bigger. So, you know, our budget's going to be big, but as with TV, you still, you know, we're producing. It's going to be five hours of content or five hours of television. So it will be tight, and it will be, you know, pushing it through. But the budget's going to be healthy. Um, so we should be able to, you know, make sure. And we, <laughs> when are you shooting? Like the it's looking like pre, it's pre-pre goes, uh, starts around April, which is just the producers building out the crew and searching for locations and all of that. And then pre starts around June, just after Fink. Yeah, right. And then it'll go in and it'll have about a three-month shoot. So like August next year. So you'll probably see it 2021. Yeah, it'll be, be like a 2021. ABC Kids. Yeah, ABC right. Kids. So that should go through. This year I, um, I made a, a doco on male strippers for Vice, which was... Check that out. Really? That's a cracker of a good time. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's 20, cool. 22 minutes of gyrating torsos. How uh, how did you get onto that whole deal? Um, they had a um, 
a competition called well a, a, a series called Vice Australiana, which yeah. is a kind of a interesting Australian subcultures. Was that uh, was that the one that they had Graham Abbo Henry on? I don't know who that is. Oh, dude, that's like one of my best podcasts. Is with this dude Graham Abbo Henry, and he's like one of the characters of Underbelly, hmm. and ah. uh, so Vice did a piece on him like at one of Australia's underworld gangsters or whatever. And it was one of those sort of 22 minute deals. And then I, a friend of mine sent that to me and then I mentioned it to another friend of mine. And then he's like, dude, his kids, his grandkids play football with my kids. So like we ended up that, yeah, Vice do fucking crazy cool shit. Yeah. Yeah, They're doing a second series of it now. Like they're doing a call out as we speak. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, No, they've done it. They've done actually a few series. So the the, the one a couple of years ago that I really first uh, kind of caught onto was, um, called rage in a cage which is uh kids that do burnouts in country australia that's kind of ravaged by ice and burnouts is a, an outlet for them yeah so they just do burnouts in cars and that was amazing and then um last year was about it was called shooting cats about uh these people in i think queensland um who go out to shoot feral cats because they're killing the natural yeah you know, fauna flora um, and fauna flora and fauna yeah um, and so that was really, really shocking. And then, you know, we pitched uh, one about male strippers. And we flew to Cairns with a bunch of male strippers. Really? And that was pretty funny. But we're, you, we're just you, doing Cairns because that's my fucking stomping grounds. Oh, where's, so, the, where's the weird zone there? Well, uh, there's a, a Gilligan's. Yes. Gilligan's. Being uh, drunk as fuck there a bunch yeah, of times. Yeah, boy. They have, a, they have a kind of, I forgot what it's called, but it's a, basically a f- sex festival. Yeah, and right. we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into until the kind of the week before and they had a, a BDSM dungeon upstairs. Wow. Um and At the, the attic? The club called the attic. Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. And then the main stage was the guys stripping and a few other kind of acts, but the audience was like three hundred women in lingerie. Wow. Uh and that was you know, I, I I'm sitting at the back of the audience with a monitor watching backstage and I've never felt so lo- lonely in a room full of women in lingerie. I've never been in a room full of women in lingerie, sadly. But what a bizarre! Uh, it's an interesting deal. doco. People fair. should check it out. I found, it, I found it really, really interesting. I'm just watch a, it for sure. Just because uh, there's these fellas and they're trying to they're trying to battle the fact that they in this industry they get paid less than women, yeah. and it's sort of like fuck it out, well, man. Like, I think this is the, the and, and yeah. this guy's been a, a male stripper. He won't say exactly how long it, he's been a male stripper because it ages him. And mm. in the world, you, you know, you don't want to age too fast. Yeah. So I think he's been doing it for 10 years, for the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's really adamant that it's a it's an art. And they do like a two-hour choreography. It is. It's a, full, it's a performance. I mean, it is. It is a, a full the, performance. Yeah. The very first time we met them was in a dance studio. It was these like five buff-ass dudes in this massive dance studio with multiple little studios and across the hall were these kids doing ballet and there was some like modern tap dancers or something and then we were filming these buff dudes it was, well, it was very funny that's like one of the weird things just about like the the sex industry in general is that now women are really hold like a lot of power in that industry especially with like uh uh like the whole private snapchat thing and there's ways that women through the internet have been so empowered in, oh, the, in that industry they, yeah i think it's fucking they, awesome. they, they own it you know mm. it's not for men to tell them what they can and can't do and yeah and but I mean, Isaac, you were some so you're making this thing for 
for Vice, this male stripper docker, but he was simultaneously making a short film for ABC Kids. Yeah. It's sort of like it's <laughs> these two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I feel my hey, get that fucking paper, son. <laughs> and, and I was and I was teaching film at uni and so I only had a two week break in the middle of the year and week one I filmed a kids T V show that um played on ABC uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, right. And uh then the next week I flew to Cairns and then I went back to teaching the next week after that. It was mental. Um I also had a, a doco go into a doco series go into development um about uh, kids that play AFL in Papua New Guinea so we yeah, flew over right. to Papua New Guinea for a week and filmed over there and kind of pitched a four part four one hour kind of series and um, they like it looks really good and it'll just be a matter of when in the year because like I mean yeah. this is but like there's a clear se- season that is sort of April to yeah. you know October or whatever and you know this other kid series the big um, uh, it's called Mavericks yeah um, Mavericks Academy uh, um, will be filming in that series so this you know, might have to be put, put on hold might it's always a baz- uh, yeah, balance and a sort of puzzle world, yeah. with the, you'd find the same thing you know just of a freelance sort of creative lifestyle where you don't know what's going to get greenlit well next. that's the fucking thing why I love doing this so much because I just greenlight whatever the fuck I want <laughs> <laughs> and that just sort of works like I just literally don't care anymore like I just put put shit up whatever I want whenever I want because I, I did get sick of that whole process of mm. pitching and budgets and oh we don't have money on this one but on this next one that we're looking at and then the fucking revisions and I was just like cool I'm out what, yep. what, have, what have you found the most rewarding doing something like this and talking to people this shit actually fucking helps a lot of people man like I genuinely feel nowadays like I do like I've, I've actually noticed honestly I've noticed how selfish I was before I started doing this because you can feel and you you know how much this helps people mm. there's so many different episodes about so many different topics and there's a lot of people that are going through a lot of uh, different things and I don't think people have the access to like legitimate mentors that they probably should like I'm lucky in my life like I'm around a bunch of great people and if I've got problems I can lean on those people and I can ask people for advice I can get you know I can hear stories from people that are successful or they've come from this and now they're here and I think that a lot of people genuinely don't have that in their life in this day and age based on geography socioeconomic status like there's a lot of people that don't have access to the kind of stuff that I have had access to and I think that this is able to deliver very inspirational people, people with great messages, people with amazing stories, and you get to hear it in like a very honest and raw format, and it does help people. Mm. And I think that absolutely, man. That's the thing that I think made me realize, like I was just shooting porn before this. Like what I was doing before this, like, it was amazing, and I fucking loved it. I got to travel the world, and I was with a lot of great people. But it, it wasn't impactful, I don't think, in any way other than just kind of keeping on pushing like that elitist kind of thing. So with this, it's just feels very genuine. It feels very uh, real. And I know from the hundreds of messages that I get that it actually it does help people and inspires people. And I think yeah. that that's a positive thing to be putting out into the world these days. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I mean, the same applies with the films that I want to make and do. You know, I think my parents distilled in me from being very young that 
if you're given an opportunity to make a film, make sure you have something to say. Mm. Make sure it's not just entertainment, like the porn that you're talking about. Mm. And that's why I've stayed clear of ads. I've stayed clear of of the, a commercial world or just being a gun for hire on anything. Mm. And, and that's definitely at a at a cut to it's a detriment for like, sure. To, yeah. to, to, to the finance financing, like my, my, I don't make a lot of money at all, but I think. Um, it's really important that with the stories we tell that they are saying something and, and improving the world that we live in mm. in some way. I really I really feel that you say geography, I really feel that geography changes the opportunities you have. Hundred percent it does. In in Alice I was you know, working as a draftsman and I was I was riding because there was everyone else there was riding and so I was able to, you know, get help. I can't just jump on a bike and go for a ride. And then moved to Melbourne, incredible for filmmaking, incredible for, you know, kind of the art scene. But I've never, you know, hooked up with the crew that rides or, mm. you know, I went, I went surfing yesterday and I just never hooked up with the crew that does that down there. And so I, even now I have that yeah kind of really big separation. And in some ways, Dylan's the link between, yeah. those, Dylan's the link between those two worlds, um, which, thank you, Dylan. Thanks, man. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it sort of it's that you know Dylan's that link that that you know gives me the opportunity to do these other things that are that are not you know um, that I don't get a chance to do down in Melbourne. And you know it is a little bit you know it's a little bit about building a community. Yeah. But you know I'll say for me it's 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 um, a little bit more difficult to build that community because you know if you go riding you just take a ute and yeah. chuck your bike and go for a ride and then have a chat to some people in the pits if I go riding I've got to and I don't know the people already I've got to call them call up who yeah. and be like hey mate yeah. I don't know you but come and help me ride or I've got to ask my mates down there that are in film that have no idea what a motorbike is yeah and have you got no, a bike with you in Melbourne like you could ride um, not at the moment but I'm yeah. going to get mine down let me know when you do and so. we'll put a call out because there'll be some people in the gypsy gang that fucking that, yeah. would, that would go riding with you for sure and yeah. motocross, motocross is different because I mean you need you need to be lifted on the bike held at the gate yeah. but then once the gate drops you, it's up to you like there's yeah. no support riders in that world but um, yeah. yeah it's just having those people in the pits hey well, yeah, um, so hey, building that community. We got to shut this one down, um, just because we got people coming in here after you boys. But um, no I really, really appreciate it. You guys did a fucking amazing job on this film. Uh, everybody listening, you have to go see it uh, in a cinema near you when it does uh, come out. I yeah. will stay on the social media updates to let everybody know. Yeah, um, think, think there, think there and back. Um, if you go madman.com slash think there uh, slash think, it'll come up. Otherwise, just Google think there and back, and it'll be, it'll be everywhere. That, yeah. No, and I really appreciate the time. It was an awesome chat. I no, wish we could have done a little, little bit longer, but um, yeah, you guys are both really cool fucking people, and uh, I'm uh, I'm appreciative of you uh, making the time to come and uh, do the podcast. No, thank you. Cheers, thank you. bro. Appreciate it.